How's it going, everybody? My name is Austin, and we're back with another one of our famous, famous, faithful dialogues. Um, you can find all of my stuff at apostlesaddict.com, which is a Christ-centered clothing line. And if you want to see anything else social-wise, it's going to be here on Faithful Dialogues. And I'm here with my friend, Ryan. Hey, everybody. My name is Ryan, and I'm with AIIW. You can find me over at AIIW.com. So thanks for joining us again for another one of our Faithful Dialogues. It's a lot of fun to do that with these or with this uh, with this guy every week. I have a lot of fun, and hopefully you guys all are as well. All right, so all what right, do we got on tap this week? <laughs> okay, so we are going to, um, before we um, get into anything, wanted to open up um, the episode again with the gospel message, and that is that we, we our souls, you know, we exist eternally, and we're going to spend that um, eternity somewhere. It's either going to be in the presence of God, or it's going to be in the absence of God. And so basically God made a way. The good news is God made a way for us to exist in the presence of God for eternity. And all that is is that we believe or have faith in him. And those things that we have faith in is that he created everything and stepped into his creation as the person, Jesus Christ, that he allowed his perfect life to be a sacrifice on the cross, the Roman crucifixion, and that through his death, um, oh, and that he rose again three days later, and if we believe in these like key principles that we will go to heaven and exist with him eternally. So having faith that he is God, that his life was a sacrifice on the cross for our sins and that he was resurrected three days later, which by the way was, is evidence that God accepted his life as sacrifice for our sins. If you have faith in these things, you're going to go to heaven and that's a promise from God. And I'm uh, essentially why I'm saying this is you have a choice in life and what you do in this life dictates where you're going to spend your life or your eternity, right? You can either roll the dice on nothing or you can roll the dice on Jesus Christ, right? And if you're, if you believe in nothing, right? And you decide to roll the dice on Jesus Christ and just give it a shot. Like you have nothing to lose, absolutely nothing to lose. But if you believe in nothing, then what do you have to lose anyway? So it's, it's kind of just appeal to your heart, you know? Um, the, I, I personally am going to put my faith in Jesus because in this life we have to put our faith in something and I urge you not to put your faith in nothing. You know what I mean? So that I, I wanted to start off there and then we're going to go ahead, Ryan, and roll right into the Pacific Justice Institute, I, which is for our audience is basically a Christian kind of legal thing where they, they cover legal matters that have to do with Christianity and, and yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, get right into it. So. Right now, we are talking about this article that says the PGI, or Pacific Justice Institute, is, uh, facilitates historic chaplaincy when Bill win. And so I'm going to go ahead and start reading this. The um, Texas legislator has passed a bill supported by Pacific Justice Institute that will allow the state's public schools to hire chaplains in addition to school counselors. And really quick, Ryan, what is, what is, a, what is a chaplain? Uh, so my understanding of a chaplain is, is just somebody that's attached to an organization and what they do is they're supposed to minister to the spiritual needs of the people in that organization. So you'll hear a lot about uh, soldiers who are chaplains. You'll hear about police officers who are chaplains. You'll hear about uh, school officials that in the past and possibly here in the future are uh, chaplains. And so basically in situations where there's just a lot of stress, a lot of strife, a lot of potential for human misery... You want to have someone from the clergy attached to that institution. 
And so that's that's kind of my understanding of what a chaplain is. And then what is the clergy again? Yeah, so the clergy is just an official title for those who are uh, running a church. So I I don't like the term clergy and laity. Laity would be normal people uh, that just sit in the pews. Yeah, who attend the church. Uh, I don't believe that there is that distinction biblically. Biblically, I think we're all supposed to just be the church. And so that means that everybody's got a role to play. And there isn't somebody that's higher than or closer to Jesus inside the church. We're all equally as close to Jesus. And there isn't like a... Like, we're all called to be priests according to the New Testament. So we, in a sense, we're all clergy in my opinion. And... But, you know, people like to make distinctions for things and and kind of change up and misinterpret what the Bible teaches, I think. What do you mean we're all called to be priests? Um, the, or the, that you mean that says that in the New Testament that we're all called to be priests? What is yeah, that? and uh, by we all, I mean Christians specifically. So just want to make that distinction. And uh, if we look at Revelation 1.6, so let me go to that right now. Revelation 1.6. Revelation 1, and then we go down to verse 6 here. It says, He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father, all glory and power to him forever. Amen. And so what we see in the first chapter of Revelation isn't a book of, uh, isn't to the part where it's prophecy. This is a part that applies to us today. And so when it, when Paul is, or sorry, when John is writing that he has made us a kingdom of priests. He's talking about himself in that time period. And everyone in the church is part of that kingdom of priests. We're all supposed to be priests of Jesus Christ. And so he's our high priest. And so uh, there's a lot of people. So like the, the Catholic church would be the best example. They have a very structured priesthood that exists separate from the laity in their church. Now, today, since the Second Vatican Council, they've changed their theology, which they claim can't happen. (laughs) But since the Second Vatican Council, they've changed their theology and they have accepted the truth that every single believer is a priest. And so they will claim that every Catholic is a priest. They just believe that there's different orders or different like roles for different priests did which they is kind just of roll through this line of thinking with the revelation. Do they kind of use this scripture to kind of do that? I won't make any claims as to what they do or don't do or why, because I, I I don't quite understand exactly everything well enough. Uh, you know, I I don't know why, where they what they would use to to validate why they believe in the priesthood of all believers. I would use these verses. I would assume that they would as well. But they also have uh, extra biblical sources, like the Apocrypha, that they could be using as the, for that as well. They could also be using early church fathers, all sorts of people, as justifications for why they have this teaching that I wouldn't accept as, as authoritative. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and continue. So basically, yeah, so they, um, let's just go ahead and restart again. We were just a sentence in. The Texas legislature has passed a bill uh, supported by Pacific Justice Institute that will allow the state's public schools to hire chaplains in addition to school counselors. So now we kind of have context. In the face of a shortage of qualified mental health professionals working in the schools, the bill will support school safety and help stem youth violence, teen suicide, and other concerning issues. SB is that state bill or Senate? Uh, 
it's it, so I would imagine that in Texas they have a Senate, and so that would be Senate Bill. Okay, Senate uh, Bill. Yeah, seven six three. Good. Sorry, I was going to say uh, it, here in California, uh, we have a state Senate, so you will see Senate bills, and then we don't have a House; we have an Assembly. So in California, for California yeah, specific laws, it's AB. Whereas yeah. in other uh, uh, other jurisdictions, like other states, HB? yep, for House. Or yeah, okay. so just so our, our everybody's up to speed on those sorts of things. Okay, um, let's see. So, uh, Senate Bill Seven Six Three was passed by both the Senate, State, and the House of Representatives. Its sponsors were motivated by the need for individuals qualified to counsel students and the availability of chaplains who were already trained to provide this essential service. Though the bill does not require chaplains to be certified by the State Board of Educator Certification, those who serve in the role would need to be endorsed by an organization recognized by the U.S. Defense Department, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, or the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. They will also be subject to background checks. Senate Bill 763 was supported by Texas Values Action and the National School Chaplain Association, as well as the Pacific Justice Institute. On April 5th, PGI President Brad Dacus testified before the Senate Committee on Education to explain the legal pre precedent allowing chaplains to serve in this capacity in other settings and his belief that the practice is constitutionally sound and that it would be upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court if challenged. Um, Speaking... Go ahead. Uh, th I think that, that might be a good place to, to kind of stop and uh, kind of talk about it a little bit. Yeah, Unless you... Um, so... Basically, what this is saying, and I like the idea and the concept behind it, it sounds really solid. It's saying that just because of all the crazy stuff that's going on in our world, in Texas, we want to make sure that if our schools want them, they can have a chaplain on hand to talk with kids and, and deal with those more spiritual matters and, and to, to deal with them on a level that a teacher or a principal or somebody kind of couldn't deal with them on. So I understand the idea behind it. And if you take a look at this, uh, the language in here, there's certain things that they're doing because they want to they wanna stop problems that are going to arise almost immediately from something like this. So number one, uh, the biggest problem that you're going to have with trying to get chaplains or a religious person into the schools in Texas is they're mostly public schools. Yes, there are some private schools and they pro they can already have chaplains if they want. There's already a system for, uh, you know, a private Christian school like everybody there's a religious instructor of some kind. Um but this would allow for them to be in public schools. And so why is that bad? Why is the public schools bad? Well, the the reason why the the problem with the public schools is then you're opening it up to any chaplain from any denomination, any belief anybody could try to be a chaplain at a public school under this bill. So it's not just your local pastor who's going to be the chaplain at the public school now. No, it's going to be the imam down the street. It's going to be the, the Church of Satan uh, leader, right, whatever they call them. They're, they're all going to have an equal opportunity to try to become chaplains in your children's public schools, okay? And there is no way from a constitutional perspective in the United States to stop someone of a different faith from at least trying to become a chaplain in your, your children's schools. And so I, 
you know, and so they what they did to try to cut that off at the head to try to stop the Church of Satan type people is they said that it had to be the bill. Uh, oh, does not require chaplains to be certified by the state. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, in order to serve as a chaplain at a public school, certified. Yes, yeah. So you have to be endorsed by a DOD. Uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons or Texas Department of Criminal Justice organization. So your organization has to be recognized by them. Which, so when you're looking Would at a law, that they, they are trying to again that that is there to try to protect against people, um, people coming in from the Church of Satan because now the DOD. The Federal Bureau of Prisons and the or the Texas Department of Criminal Justice are going to have to review people that want to be chaplains, and unfortunately, it's just going to lead to a whole bunch of lawsuits. And ultimately, those organizations are going to have to uh, endorse people that have views that you don't agree with. There will be a bunch of people with wrong gospel messages that get endorsed by those organizations and are then spiritually leading your children at public school. My, now, if you want to ask about my personal beliefs, my personal belief is that public education is the biggest evil that's been perpetrated on our country, except for abortion. It's like abortion and then public why, education. Why the reason that I say that is because it, uh, it takes the children away from their parents and sets up an authority structure outside of your parents and one that has morals that are alien to anything that any one individual parent would, would agree with. Okay. You should listen to your parents, honestly. Yep. I think your parents know best, and they've examined the world, and they know what... And, and the reason why I say you should listen to your parents, even if you... Like, like they are your parents. They're leading you in, in, the, in the best way that they think they should. And so when you become an adult at 18, right, you have to take everything that your parents have taught you and examine it for what it is and then what the world is saying and what other things are saying and then you're going to have to make your informed decision because now you're an adult right yep and so i like when i become a parent and i'm not a parent yet like i that's all i want as i just want my kids to basically remember the stuff that i've taught them and put it up against what the world is saying and all they're going to be doing is having biblical stuff like the, I'm, they're just gonna re everything I teach them is just gonna yeah. be straight from the Bible. Like I'm not gonna, yep. it's not gonna be coming from me, or it'll be bad. <laughs> so. Yep. And of course, obviously, you know, if your parents are abusive, or if there is something going on that's criminal, or you're in an unsafe situation, obviously yeah, go moral. go go seek out go seek out other adults and report criminal behavior. Of course, like yeah. But ultimately for the most part in you know 90 plus percent of cases your parents generally are going to want the best for you and they're the only adults in the entire world that you can assume want the best for you okay and so that that's why they've your parents were designed by god to raise you and train you and to teach you how to live in this world as moral hopefully christian people right that's that's what god designed parents to do and be willing to bet that the people who watched the mother be pregnant and watched you be born and dealt with you in your terrible twos and had patience with you through <laughs> changed your, your diaper years yeah I'm, I'm willing to bet that they love you so much more than the people who claim they love you outside mm -hmm. of that 
you know what uh, I mean? So generally, again, there's there, generally, there are exceptions. Most and, of the and, time, it's not a hundred percent. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's we live in a sinful world, and and I don't want anybody to get the wrong ideas on what we're we're saying because of course we want anybody that abuses children to be called out and and to face criminal punishment. So shame. Shame. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I, I just I, I feel compelled to say that because like it might sound like we're saying that if you're in a bad situation, you have to stay there. And that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is that generally your parents are going to be a good situation for you. They want the best for you. And they're the ones that should be responsible for teaching you morality. But that also entails teaching you everything. OK, you can't just be responsible for teaching morality outside of school hours. And so what happened with multiple generations of people so our parents generation all went to public school their parents before them their generation started being mostly going to public school and what's happened is we've we've gotten indoctrinated into this this secular ideology of like vaguely judeo-christian values but without any of the reasoning or logic behind why god instituted them that way and so you go to a public school and again it's some vague like you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't hurt other people type stuff, but your teachers can't give you a moral reasoning why you can't do those things, okay? There isn't, uh, so when a teacher comes up and stops you from, from hitting the bully, right, and they think that you're the aggressor, they, they don't have any legs to stand on morally, and so that just seems all kind of arbitrary. And so public school has, in my opinion, public school has just completely destroyed the bonds of the family. So instead of children being raised by their mothers and then going to work with their fathers if they're boys or being trained by their mothers in how to take care of the household like that's traditionally what we did all the way up until like 1900 okay so the entire history of humanity we worked one way then in 1900 we switched over and so instead of you being trained by your father how to do the the work that your family did and you would be just an amazing you know like carpenter or whatever trade skill you got instead now we ship you off to uh, an educational facility where you have a, a separate power structure that doesn't have the same morals as you and your family and so it just sets up confusion and strife and animosity between everybody in the family whereas the old way that we used to do things set up a huge amount of respect and 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 like trust and and love for the family Cause... unit because dad taught the son, right? And then the mom taught the mm -hmm. daughter. So you know that, like, he, they've been vetted by them in that yep. way, you know? And, and you know that the morals that they're teaching are what the parents want. And so if parents in this situation were going to go seek out education, they could do so at a facility that has their same ideals and ideologies. But, yeah, uh, yeah so... My my belief is that public schooling is, is one of the worst things that we've ever done as a society. It doesn't teach you useful skills. You don't get done with 12th grade and you can go into a trade and start making money. You have to go to college to go learn more useless skills to get a piece of paper that says that you're now ready. You should have done that at 16. <laughs> You yep. know what I mean? Well, you should have just, been very well trained by the time you're 18 because you're going to go have you're expected to literally be an adult and go survive at that point. Like you should be. Are. You should be. But yeah. the, again, those lines are getting blurred. We're getting infantilized. Right. Like a 16 year old in high school is seen as a child. And then two years later, you're just supposed to magically turn into an adult like you didn't change physically very much in that time for the most part. 
right? Like, there's not a whole lot that's different between those two time periods, but one period you're an adult, the other you're not, and it's just, it's confusing for children, and, it, you know, it, it's not what God designed. God did not design human beings to ship their children off to be educated by someone else eight hours a day, five days a week. There's a full work week of time that your children are being taught that you're not necessary and that you're dumb because they come home from that time. They have more homework to do. So on top of the 40 hour work week, we're shipping kids off to go do, um, they then come home, have more hours of work to do. And then the parents don't know how to do that homework, which makes them look stupid. So now you look dumber than all of your teachers. So now your parents look dumber than all of your teachers to your, your children. And it just builds this, this snowball of animosity and disrespect between the parent and the child and and i we see that in sitcoms we see that in in every movie you could ever you've ever seen dad's portrayed as like an idiot or like an imbecile or something Mm -hmm. like that and they sit down at the at the dinner table to try to do the third grade science homework and they're like i don't remember third grade science and then they get mad and rip the paper you know homer simpson like that's that's where homer simpson comes from is public education he what there is at the nuclear power plant <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no no, no like what, the main operator there but like what i'm saying is is the disrespect shown to him comes from public education if if it were if you know it were 50 years earlier he would have been massively respected in his household and it's because of of public education in my opinion that that starts to degrade and rip apart families so so then just quick question like how would you structure your family how would you want it to be done like like what do you think is a good idea for like educating your children and stuff like that like say you have three kids right now yeah theoretical ryan doing so if i were right now to have children uh they would from the again it depends on how old they are obviously no one sends an infant to public school right seven seven and thirteen okay so so you're saying they're just old enough to start going to school they would be going to a either they would be schooled by their mother if she wanted to do that that'd be great um if she doesn't want to do that and we want to send them somewhere to have socialization i would send them to something like a learning center so i used to teach at a place called ila and um it's just a beautiful community of like-minded individuals that all have a common goal of educating children with a god-centered and god-fearing background and so I would find places that ideologically align with me and send my children there. And, and that's vastly different than the public school system, which is dump your kids here. You don't have a choice. You, if, if you can get them out, you have to fight like crazy. And then don't ask what we're teaching them. Ha ha ha. Yep, exactly. And if you misgender your kid, then you're a bigot. And in California, I think they want to pass a bill that criminalizes it. So like, like, I don't even, that, it's weird, like, um, we have gotten, I've just seen it in my, I'd say in the last 15 years, we've gotten thin-skinned, really, really thin-skinned, like, like, I, I, I wish we could go back to a time where when people said something offensive, you chalked it up to they're just a rude individual, and you move on with your day. And don't let it be the focal point of your day that some rude individual just said some rude stuff to you or offensive yeah. stuff to you. People are unhinged. And so just you got to <laughs> chalk it up to that. Like just let let, pe- let people who want to be insulting for no reason 
unprovoked. Let them just do them and just move on with yourself and reclaim that mental time. Don't waste time worrying about what people said to you or, or even what's happened in the past. Like we don't move on from anything. We don't let anything go. We don't forgive anything. We, it's like, it's, it, it's just crazy. If well, we were num number one, just to forgive the stuff that has already happened and let things go on like a, like, like, just tell yourself, the next thing that happens, I'm just going to let it go. I'm not even going to worry about it. Whatever. Like, I'm just going to move on with my day. Just forgive the past and then forgive or, like, let go of whatever's about to happen, too. Like, I've saved myself a lot of angst. But, yeah, I heard you. What were you going to say? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember, but we should probably get back to, like, more focused on the article. Like, so specifically my issue with chaplains in the public school, th they already have chaplains in the public school. Okay? Every teacher is a chaplain. Okay? Every teacher... Because they're passing on ideologies, they're passing on beliefs and values sense. to their students, okay? There's yeah. no, there is nothing in the human brain where I can flip a switch and say, right now I'm only learning math, okay? What I'm learning in math is going to affect what I, what I think about and how I see the world in general. And so, you know, really? it, oh yeah, for sure. Like, I don't it, understand how that would uh, translate, can you... Um, like, I can't think of any specific ideas, but knowing how to, you know, knowing that God set the world up in a in an ordered and structured way, how, like, the fact that I just said that God set the world up in an ordered and structured way, that's an ideology, that's a, a fundamental belief that I have about the world and about math that is not shared by my secular teacher. She would not, you know, there's teachers that I had that wouldn't say that God ordered and structured the world they'd say that the world was randomly created and that this order and structure came out of randomness to see what it like do you see how even just like basic understandings of reality are different depending on on where you come from and so if i can learn math in a way where i'm being taught by somebody that agrees with me ideologically then when i'm learning math i'm going to learn it in a way that that makes more sense and 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 works for everybody or sorry works not for everybody works for what what i've been teaching and been taught in other domains so okay let, let's let, look at it this way like imagine that your your math teacher and your biology teacher didn't agree on the basics of math right so if your math teacher teaches you that two plus two equals four but your biology teacher believes two plus two equals five that affects how you do biology Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, because it'll affect like different. That, uh, ways I mean, that you proceed in your work and stuff it, like that. It it affects the data. Biology is all about data. Okay, so if I'm going and collecting data, the data that I'm going to collect as a biologist that believes that two plus two equals five is going to confirm that two plus two equals five, and I'm going to throw out the data that that doesn't agree with that. Oh, I okay. I, I'm starting to see the okay, the, and the so line of thought so here. if I'm a biologist and I'm a biology teacher and I'm teaching your child biology, but I'm an evolutionist, okay, and I believe that evolution oh, is that makes sense. is how to, the world like, is created, yeah, yeah. okay. So if I I'm teaching evolution is how the world was created, I'm going to go and I'm going to to interpret the facts in that textbook as supporting evolution, whereas someone who doesn't have that belief that we evolved like me if i were to teach your child science i'm not going to teach it from that perspective i'm not going to say that every single thing that science currently says points to evolution points to evolution because it doesn't and, and 
just because there are rock layers doesn't mean that the rock layer is as old as the scientist claims. There's, there's all sorts of fundamental assumptions that people make because of the ideologies, because of the beliefs that they have. And so I want parents to be able to go find the educational institution that's going to teach your children the way that you want to be taught. And so an educational institution that has a Christian fundamental belief system will teach evolution, but they're going to teach it from the standpoint of that's not what we believe. We believe this. Okay. And which is nice because you're saying this is what the world uh, teaches. Mm -hmm. This is what the Bible and we believe examine them together. And so then then you're again having to make this leap of faith and just say that I believe it what the, the Bible is saying is true. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. cuz again, understand for our audience, you have to believe what those what the world is teaching anyway. If they're saying the big bang theory as in they believe it. They it's a it's a belief. You have to put your faith in that that that's what it is. Also evolution's also a theory. It's not proven. You have to put your faith in mm -hmm. that. And so yep. you're 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 presented with this choice where it's like believe what the bible is saying and then once you start giving that credit then it starts giving um uh it starts then the claims about jesus are also true when, when, do you get what i'm saying so that's mm -hmm. why it starts to become this thing uh, that yeah that's why they don't teach the exactly biblical perspective well, and, in school because then it starts to you know if that's right then this could be right you know and but the other crazy thing is not every perspective is taught at public schools Okay, there is a, it is only the that's secular wrong. perspective yeah. that's taught. Okay, nobody ever yeah. taught me about creationism alongside of evolution in my biology class. But if you go to a, a private school or you go to a home school, they're going to teach they you both. No, no, it's not yeah. they might, they will. Okay, they're either only going to teach you evolution or they're going to teach you both. The uh, Our side actually wants our children to be educated to be able to make decisions for themselves as much as it would break my heart I, I would want my child to be educated to the point where they could make a decision for christ or not for christ okay obviously yeah. i'm, I'm going to present it in such a way that that christ is very compelling because he is and, and there's so much evidence for him but I, I want them to be able to make that choice the secular the, the the secular society that we're in doesn't want you to make that choice they want your children to be inducted and indoctrinated into their line of thinking and to be like them because they don't have children okay what what we are what, what christians and, and and parents today really don't understand is the a lot of the 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 leftist teachers and again i don't know what percentage of total teachers this is but there's a lot of teachers especially here in california they're not going to have children they're they're not you know if they were to get pregnant they'd abort their child and these children that are in their classroom are their children. It's their job. They see it as their job to indoctrinate them into their leftist ideology. Okay. And they're doing that 30 kids a, at a time, right? They're, they, these kids get put in those classrooms with the pride flags and, you know, with, with these teachers who are, are non-binary and trans and, and all these, these sorts of things. And the, those children are getting indoctrinated into that. You can't stop it. If they're in that classroom, you can't stop it. It's just how it works. Yeah. And that's so what's crossing my mind right now is it would be like we'd have to fight tooth and nail for any bill that would require us to put our kids in public school. Like, well, and, like and any, any requirement to do something like that. Like that's, and that's my, be my belief is that line. my belief is that you're required to in every state and they take your money. 
Okay, that you so requ- oh. I have to register to become a teacher in the state, and then oh, I oh, you, well, you're talking in, about to be a teacher. California. Oh, okay. No, I'm saying like if so, if you're saying that every state requires um, your kid to be like um, educated by a teacher, then I would have to like become a teacher so I could educate my children at the home, right? So no, like, no, it, that's not what they that's not what they require. You, you're totally misunderstanding what the what the state's done. So you're required to. So what they would do in the situation that you're talking about is they just mandate they have to go to that institution. They would they don't want you educating your children at home even if you're a teacher. Jeez. Like like you like if there's a system in place where they are gatekeeping education, they're going to force you to go to the the institution. They're not going to let you teach your kids at home if they don't want you to. And that's that's what we see in this state is they're fighting tooth and nail to make sure that you can't educate your children at home and that you have to send them to the you know the public indoctrination camp right it's it's just it's it's wicked i i didn't see it you know i grew up in that system and and my family you know we bought into the the uh you know your kids are going to be weird if they're not socialized at public education you know at public school you know homeschool kids are weird and private school kids are weird and to a certain extent, yes, but they're they're weird because they're not a bunch of degenerates. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like every 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 movie about high schoolers since the fifties, it's it's all about the sex, drugs, and and the rock and roll that they're doing in the high school, right? Like we all know what the the typical high school experience is. And as a Christian, how could you possibly send your child there in good conscience? <laughs> yeah, so it's <laughs> like. It... Oh, that's scary. I, you know, I, I, I personally, I reject anyone that says that their kid, their child is a missionary. That, that to me is just an absurd claim. Like, your child is not people a missionary. That? Uh, yes. People that like we, the... people we know, Austin. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you off, offline if you, if you remember. But yeah, like that's a legitimate, that's a legitimate so thing I've saying... heard. Because their kid is they're, going to that school, that they're going to be like preaching the gospel and like yes. all that kind of stuff in there. Yes, uh, and it's interesting. I I just like all right. So why would you disagree with that that line be, of thinking? Because children are precious. Like the 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 people that allow children to be um, hurt or harmed in any way. Like listen, you, you got to listen to what Jesus said about children. You know. And harming little children, it would be better to have a, any if any of these to stumble that it'd be to better stumble than a millstone. Not even to hung. sin. Yeah, yeah to yeah, stumble. Okay, to stumble. And what do you think is happening at high school daily? It's daily, hourly, minute, minute by minute. You are having stumble, you know, stumbling blocks being thrown in front of your children at a public high school, especially today. But that's always been the case. It's never not been true, and so. For me, like, I, I just can't even imagine how you would come to that conclusion. And I would have to have, I would have to have so much evidence that that's what God is calling me to do with my child. Like, it would have to be such positive, strong, clear evidence that that's what my child is like. Being. They started a Bible because... study in the school, and people are coming to Jesus, and there's like revival in the school, like <laughs> some some big thing, like God's moving in the school now. Like, I don't know, like, I like kind of what you're saying or thinking. N- no, I, like that would be the fruit that I'd want to see if I felt that strongly. But even if even if I didn't see that fruit, that wouldn't be what what sealed it for me. I, I'm talking about like 
the prayer and the fasting that I would have to do before I would allow my child to go into that situation. So what I think is happening with a lot of these parents is the default easy situation is kid goes to public school. There's a bus that'll yeah. take him there for free. It's already part of my taxes. I don't have to do any work. It's no fight. I just do it. That's what everybody does. No one is going to bat an eye if I just do that. Okay. I don't have to do any fighting. I don't do any work. It's just going to happen. And so I think what's happening with these parents is that's the default. It's easy. And so they come up and they make an excuse of, oh, I feel that my child's missionary. My child's a public school missionary. He or she's there to lead the other children to Christ. And it's the easy default position. And so you just attach a biblical sounding call to that. And then, and then that's your excuse as to what, if anybody ever comes at you and says, why are you allowing your ch child to go to this horrible degenerate place where they're more likely to have sex and do drugs? Because <laughs> that's what we should be. Any, any parent that has their child in public school, that's the questioning we should be doing. So why, again, is your Christian child there at a public school where they're very likely to get introduced to drugs and definitely going to see women that are scantily clad and men that want to, uh, you know, have you sex with them? You just have no control, and I think that's the biggest issue. Yep. Is you don't, you don't even know what's there. You're gone. They, it's not like... It's not like you're standing from above watching your son or daughter, and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I hope they don't take this bait. I hope, and it's not like you get to know. You have no idea yep. what they're being presented with. It's it's a it yeah. could be awful, wicked, evil stuff. And well, and and to, some of it is. And, and yeah, and today, like the change today that I think parents are waking up to is now the teachers are telling their children that they're gay or that they're lesbian or that they're trans, and then now in california that that teacher can help them go get gender uh surgery to physically mutilate themselves without the parents consent like it's just gone so off the rails today that we're waking up to it but it was evil long before then okay like there's been again sex drugs all of that stuff's been in high schools for decades the our parents were in the high schools with that stuff we were in high schools with that stuff it, like I don't know how you could condone your child going there knowing what we all know about high school and, and the types of temptations that, that our children face. What's like, what's really cool about some of the, like um, there's, I, I just don't even want to mention them by name because I like them so much and I want them to be left alone. I want zero publicity coming to them, but the way they set up their school is you basically, your kid can go there for free if you become a teacher and help with some of the classes mm -hmm. and so and they have this community of parents that are teaching kids and they all have the same values and then they bring in vendors and then with your with your either out-of-pocket money or with the grant fund money that you've gotten you can then buy math teacher buy a science teacher yep. buy this or that teacher and so like it's it's really nice like i i if i honestly plan on going to this school we can talk about it off camera and stuff like I can yeah. be a teacher there. I can, um, you've actually taught there. Yeah. Um, I, and, I, and so yeah. I, I would highly recommend that, uh, that everybody, if you have children, you look into, uh, the homeschooling options in your state. Uh, homeschooling is kind of a misnomer at this point. Uh, a lot of the options that you have to direct the schooling for your children do not happen in your own home. 
Uh, you, you can think of it like the COVID lockdown for like yeah. for like homeschool. Like you're not leaving your house and you have to be the one teaching <laughs> your kid. And it's like, no, homeschool just means not public school. Right? Yep. It means not public and it means not a private school. It means that it is a, a situation that is set up that is non-standard. Open okay? to the public, but not funded yeah. by the government. Exactly. The and and it's a non it's non-traditional classes. And so there'll be a much smaller class sizes. The classes so are going to be um, more directed specifically to your child's specific like needs, uh, needs and, stuff, yeah. and their wants and desires. Like I was a, a teacher at one of these at these types of places, and I taught a Minecraft class and uh, another class that uses that used a video game to teach orbital how mechanics. You, how did you end up doing um, educational stuff with Minecraft? Um, my buddies were doing some stuff with archery, and I hated being outside lugging no, around stuff in the heat. No, I mean that. I mean, heat. like, <laughs> how, can, how can Minecraft be used educationally is kind of oh, what I was asking. Oh, yeah, so the cool thing about Minecraft is you can do anything in it, and it's close enough to trying to be a proxy for reality that you can use it to compare and contrast things, okay? So... If uh, I go and dig a trench in Minecraft, I can fill it with water, right? And I can go and dig a trench in the real world and fill it with water, and you can compare and contrast. In Minecraft, you fill it with water, and what happens? Well, it all just sits there and stays there perfect and pristine forever. If I go fill a, a real hole with water, what happens? Well, the water disappears. because it Evaporates. It or evaporates. Or mosquitoes. And exactly. And so... You can you can just compare and contrast the real world. Like, I can teach a lesson on the pyramids and on ancient Egypt for 20 minutes, and then the last 40 minutes of class, they can all cooperatively work together to build a giant pyramid and then put in a bunch of hidden tunnels underneath and treasure rooms and things that you would find in a real, in a real uh, Egyptian pyramid. And so that cements what they learned with physically going and doing it in, uh, well, not physically, but going and doing it and acting it out in an environment where, like, just the, when you, when you, like, actually have to go implement something rather than just writing it down, you, you learn stuff better. And so... So being... why did we build this uh, uh, this tunnel? Because it was a decoy from the actual treasure! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so now they're thinking about people coming in and stealing the treasure, and they're thinking like designers of an actual pyramid, because those were all problems that they were solving for in their designs as well. And so, yeah. you know... You can teach the Bible that way. You can teach anything in a in a more hands on way. Like imagine you were you, you know your your kid want you wanted them to learn about the Book of Daniel. You could go and have them build a lion's den, and you know in mine you know in Minecraft you could have them go big, dig a pit and build some you know cool looking little like lions or whatever inside of it. And you can they're have gonna some ocelots running around in there and just you know <laughs> use your imagination. Exactly and. <laughs> And that child will remember that story way better even when they're an adult because they physically they, they went in and not physically I keep saying that but they went in and the, and they acted it out in Minecraft and so they simulated it yeah simulated it I, I like acting it out because that's that that's really what you're doing is you're, is you're going in and you're you're imagining that you're a real being in this Minecraft world and you're acting out what's going you're on navigating through that mm -hmm. yeah and so. You know, that's that's the type of learning that that public schools are just it, you couldn't ever do it on a mass scale at a public school like that. You have to you have to find what works for each individual kid. And that's that's why I like homeschooling or, or parent directed education uh, 
way, way more than public for, for a whole host of reasons. So we've spent 45 minutes on this now, actually. <laughs> um, All right. So, uh, yeah, can, yeah, just uh, to finish just, reading it and then, uh, yeah. I don't know that we need, do we need to finish reading the, the thing if we no, want? No, we're okay. good then. No, we're good. Um, because, you know, like I said, I, I like the idea behind it. I like the spirit behind wanting to get a spiritual component into public schools. But again, it's, kids, you know, but yeah. again, it's, it's not going to be your pastor down the street as the chaplain. It's going to be the progressive Methodist church. Which is the best case scenario. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, now it's going to be open for any scenario, good, bad, evil, neutral church like, of Satan, it's... the lesbian pastor down the street. Like you have no idea the, the people that will be, and that will end up as spiritual authorities. And that's, that's the real problem. Teachers are set up as authorities over children, so they look to their teachers for guidance in areas outside of just math. Their math teacher is set up as an authority, and so now that teacher has a, a an in to shoehorn in their own personal ideologies. And so just the the nature of the math problems that they provide can change, you know, what, what it is, it, you know. What they're trying to do, what the uh, the the left is trying to do right now, is they want they want your math questions to involve uh, gay couples. Okay, so if a math question originally was like Billy and 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 Mary are married and they have two apples and they want to make an apple pie and one apple pie takes two apples, like they want to take that math problem and and they want to make it a gay couple now because what they believe is that shoehorning in those ideologies as the default will change the way that your children end up thinking and acting and, and believing in the future and we'll i just normalize it and desensitize mm -hmm. it to the point where it's like yeah what's wrong with it and it's like uh, well you've just dove into a worldview at this point and so like you you should really know what you believe and why you believe it and i've been thinking about yep. this all week whatever your faith is whether you believe in god or you believe in nothing and or you believe we came from cells and you know came from fish and came from monkeys like whatever your actual worldview is you should study it and mm -hmm. like I, and i even if you are an atheist even if you are an evolutionist even if you are a big bang theory person like study what you believe and actually believe it and study it and, and know it because you shouldn't just default oh this is what my friends believe i'm gonna believe it this is what the school teaches yeah like, no, i'm gonna believe it like you should honestly like like search out different worldviews and find which one you you kind of that's leaning on you yep. you know I, I would encourage you to you know pray you know god if you're really there like you know put it on my heart where, where, what's the truth and then you'll naturally just find if you're searching truth you'll just find jesus it just happens <laughs> it, it takes some people some time it yep. took me some time but you'll just land on jesus eventually if you're searching for truth right absolutely um, and and i i just want to make it clear like i think that every parent has the right to teach their children however they, they feel want. that they want to I, like i don't like it i don't want someone teaching their their children about the churches you know in the in the church of satan or whatever i don't like that but that's the only way to do it in a in a in a fair in a, in a fair way that we can all agree on is is so that each you can't put stuff on me 
that mm-hmm. then in turn I can't put stuff on you. So and so it's that equal protection. I'm we're all like as, yeah. as far as that stuff goes, like that's why I enjoy America and, yep. and love this country. It's just we're all about fairness. And like if you're if it's okay for you, it's okay for me. If it's not okay for you, it's not okay for me. And we need to play on an equal playing field. So if we're gonna find like and ultimately what the world is seeking is to even even people who don't believe in God, we're trying to make a better place and a better country. Uh, and so we're gonna yeah. And, <laughs> going off on a little bit of attention there but all right i wanted to make a, a quick um uh call to action shout out for the um for the the, the giveaway okay so, um if you guys we are going to do a giveaway at 50 youtube subscribers and so basically um i'm not sure how this works so i'm just going to ask ryan um <laughs> can you can we see like individual users if they're subscribed to us can i see a list of subscribers uh not to my knowledge you might be able to see like usernames and stuff uh that's what i'm looking for i think I would so want to make one of the requirements that you actually subscribe to the channel yeah i i believe that you can do that and right now we are at 28 subscribers so 28, we're a little so more than halfway there what i'm gonna do um i've already decided i want to use a bow and arrow um, but basically the way this is going to work is at 50 YouTube subscribers, I'm going to be giving away a shirt from my website. And currently there is, um, so the way I like to do things is I'll like make a design. My, my wife will do something for me and make a design. And then it'll be like a white design, a black design. Um, and then it'll be on a white t-shirt, a black t-shirt, a white hoodie and a black hoodie. And so, um, every time something comes out, there'll be like four different options. And right now there's just two. But one of them says, uh, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, with a little cross, super, super clean. And then the other one just says in the straight middle, Jesus is God. And so that's what I believe. I believe Jesus is God. And, and just kind of how the how the Trinity works is the Father in heaven is God, Jesus the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And they're all different persons of one being, which is God. And so um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a complicated thing to think about. But anyway, 50 YouTube subscribers, and I will be giving away a, um, a T-shirt. And so the way I want you guys to enter is to subscribe and then leave a comment in the video, basically just asking any kind of question. A que- uh, give us something hard to think about. Uh, give us, you know, or just any kind of question. Just give us something to talk about on the show. We'll feature your username. We'll talk about the question, and that can enter you into the, the raffle. Um, once we have... Um, once we get to 50, everybody who's entered into the raffle, I'm basically going to put a bunch of tickets and names into a circle, and I'm going to shoot an arrow, and whichever whichever <laughs> ticket the arrow pierces is going to be uh, the winner. And I think that's the most fair and transparent way of doing something. I can even film a video of Yes, I was going to say, it's, it. we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to live stream the uh, the shot. <laughs> right, yeah. So Just I, so we, we all know it's fair. Fun. <laughs> right, yeah. So again, 50 YouTube subscribers, and that's a it's like a $18 value. And so um, at 100 YouTube subscribers, I'll do a hoodie. It's like a $25 value, and I'll just keep upping the ante as we uh, go along. I have no problem with that. And so, uh, yeah, these are these are really nice quality shirts. I haven't gotten my hands on the hoodie yet, but uh, that looks pretty sick. Um, they're, they're really they're, cheap. Go at yeah. ApostlesAddict.com. I um, to be fully transparent, I even put it on the website. I only make seven dollars off of this. So, like any, whether you buy a shirt or you buy a hoodie, I only make seven dollars on it. So that's all I'm making. I'm not making like ten, fifteen, twenty bucks on top of anything. So my my shirts are super cheap and my my hoodies are super cheap. So I, yeah, if go get a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go go over there, support him, and uh, yeah, I uh, 
really like the uh, the work that they do. They have some good designs, and um, like I said, they're they're well made shirts, and uh, they'll hold up. So, also, uh, if you want to uh, for the comment to enter the subscription, if you want to suggest a t shirt design, I will also count that as a entry. Yeah, I yes. Hope I don't mind that too. Uh, we also love any uh, artwork submissions. If you want to submit some art, we can uh, count that as well. Uh, I know that uh, that a lot of people are, are really great artists out there, and if you got something cool to to submit to us, uh, we'll we'd love to check it out. And I hope you guys like our new background. This is some pixel art from my wife Sky, and it looks super super cool. Yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> like some space mountainy stuff, kind of some Star Wars vibes going there, you know. So we're gonna try to keep the uh, the backgrounds a little bit fresher going forward. Uh, we were using that same one for the last couple of weeks and uh i think we're gonna try to switch them out on a pretty frequent basis and keep things nice and interesting so uh let's get back into our content i uh, i really appreciate you bringing in this pacific justice institute stuff i think that sparked a, a really good necessary conversation, conversation. Yeah. yeah good conversation necessary one and uh you know i i just whatever you feel like you want to do with your kids i think you should have the right to do it uh i just can't support public schools <laughs> but uh yeah you should have yeah you should have the freedom to pursue things that you want to do within a moral boundary and you should have the freedom to encourage your kids to do things that you you know decide are best for them within a moral boundary and then we get into the conversation of what are morals but yeah well, it's a yep. topic for another well time. and that's well and that's uh you know <laughs> that's what the that's what these faithful dialogues are about you know what's moral and and i think that the the best way to find out how we're supposed to act in different situations is to read the Bible, right? That's, that's what God wants us to use to inform our decision-making. And there's no reason that that shouldn't start at age, you know, whenever you start school, right? So when you, you could, you know, comprehend the, the concept, you know, don't lie, don't, don't steal like to your little three-year-old or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You should be exactly values at a young age and stuff. Yeah. So uh, today, were we going to be finishing up, or at least uh, continuing the story of Joseph? Is that what we have on tap? Yes, we do, and I hope to finish it out, because um, what I want to do is kind of flip-flop back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I'd like to do a gospel next week, and I, so I'm hoping that we can finish this out. I hope we can blaze through it. I think we're at about 50, 55 minutes so far, so we've got about an hour so let's yeah. try to cover this as thoroughly and quickly and efficiently as possible. Sounds good to me. Um, there's that document. Do I need to have that open or? It's up to you. Okay. Um, I'm just, okay. Uh, I got it. So we, I got everything. We can read. Uh, what do you want? Are there verses you want to read? Is that how we're doing this? Uh, when we get to chat, uh, so what you meant for good, um, or what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's going to be uh, Genesis chapter fifty, verse twenty, and we'll, I think, and we'll get there. Um, but that's going to be a little bit further down the line because that's a huge yeah. verse that I think people should know about. Oh, absolutely. And, um, essentially, essentially, what it means is sometimes people mean harm to you, but God can spin that into something good. And so we're, we're going to, and that's kind of what happened in Joseph's life. So we're going to be picking up here. Last week, we left off in chapter 41 when kind of um, Joseph rose to power because uh, he interpreted some of Pharaoh's dreams. And so now we're here in chapter 42 when Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. Um, famine strikes the land and Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to buy grain. Joseph, now in a position of power, 
recognizes his brothers when they come before him, but he pretends not to know them. And what's even interesting, too, is he has an interpreter there, so he can speak their language, and he's pretending that he doesn't. It's it's really funny. I thought that was hilarious. But he accuses them of being spies, which is an over-the-top accusation, which is also kind of funny, um, and demands that they bring their younger brother, Benjamin, to prove their innocence. And I'm going to hone in on that. Joseph Joseph keeps Simeon as a hostage while the other brothers return to Canaan. And so my question for you, Ryan, is mm-hmm. why in general did he do this, this whole, like, um, keeping the, the brother thing and, like, calling them spies and it kind of, um, I, I think it's it's going to be foreshadowing to what's going <laughs> to happen, but why the request to ask for the younger brother? Like, why is that? Is that significant in any way? You know, uh, that that's an interesting one. I, I don't have anything off the top of my head right now on that. I just it, the whole the whole thing, like you said, it's a very interesting story where they come and you'd think that that he would just uh, reveal himself and it'd be a fun family like reunion and they can go get their dad and he can come in and, you know, but I, I think that, you know, obviously these 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 men had greatly wronged Joseph when they were children. So. I, I don't know if that played a part in it, if if there was some amount of animosity there. Uh, obviously, he was very emotional over the whole reunion in general. Just the fact that uh, that that they you know that they're reunited at all. He I think at a certain point kind of goes off and and is emotional or cries and um yeah he does uh he does send them out of the room at one point and yeah. then like uh breaks out in tears uh from behind the door that he just closed. Yeah, that does that does happen at some point. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly why they would do it, but I, I, I would imagine it's, it's somewhat of a, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it, it's something that I think we should all, uh, all pray about and see if God has something for us, you know, in the story, we should, we should be reading it ourselves. I can't, I can't think of anything specifically, to be honest. It's just a, so one thing I'll, I'll, I'll try to, or later on in the, the, the story, basically Joseph was like the youngest son and it was like it was like a really it was like a close place to proximity to Joseph's heart because being the youngest child and losing him was a big deal. And so I imagine now the new youngest child is Benjamin and so that's like the new young closest mm-hmm. proximity to Joseph's heart. So it's like Yeah. Do you get what I mean? So it's now it's like um uh the tender place was the office that Joseph held, and then Joseph supposedly is dead, and now the and now that tender place is uh, Benjamin is that is mm-hmm. kind of in that role, right? And so I, that's kind yeah. of what I'm thinking is it's the baby of the family, so the new baby of the family is Benjamin, and so that's kind of it kind of has some weight there. So I well, think he knows what he's doing by asking for the baby because he knows he was the baby, right? So it, <laughs> um, I, I think that we like to not like to. I think that that by default we put our own uh twists on things so you, you keep calling him the baby right and like in our the society youngest. that that has a, a special meaning to it and there's certain connotations that 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 has um actually in a lot of ways the youngest was not a favorable position in that culture okay, okay. if you look at like inheritance in that culture that kid gets the, the least they get yeah, completely he get, yeah. it's but the oldest son but the reason you have to look at the reason why uh, 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 why Israel, um, would value Benjamin, his youngest son, so highly, and the reason for it is what is who's who's his mother. 
Uh, Rebecca? No, uh, close. His mother is Rachel. And so of oh, his two it. wives. Yes. It's Ra- is it Rachel and Leia? Yes, it's Rachel and Leia are the two actual wives. It was the and R. Then, I remember Leia yeah. was the one that he got tricked into yes. marrying, and he was like, are you serious? And then so, another seven years. And... Exactly. And so of the two <laughs> wives, uh, Rachel was the, the more favorite of the two. And so he values... That's the one he initially wanted. Yes. It wasn't like, it mm-hmm. wasn't like this, uh, he put a value over another woman. He saw Rachel... He loved her. Marry her. Get, it was gets tricked into marrying Leia, and so yeah. it's not like she's lesser. It's just that's not what he was going for. He got kind of like tricked. Sha- into that. Yeah, he got he got totally tricked into it, and and so you know, Joseph obviously knows all of this, and so he knows how much uh, his father would be valuing Benjamin, and how much of a, a how big of a deal it would be for his father to allow that child to be taken into Egypt. And so, you know, it, thinking about it and, and, and coming at it from a, a perspective of what God may have been doing is it may have been something in, uh, in, Israel, in Jacob's heart, Israel's heart, that he needed to be able to let go of his most prized child, his youngest child, to be able to enter into Egypt, a place where he's going to be seeking refuge and safety for his family for the next 400 years. I, you know, th- those are just thoughts. I'm not going to claim that that's a, a a teaching from God or anything like that. But uh, it may it may have been something in Jake in uh, yeah Jacob's heart that needed to change, and he needed to let go of Benjamin before you know. I I, okay. I, I don't know. It, it it could just be something funky that that God was doing for a totally different reason. Um, my opinion and my belief is that everything in the Bible is some kind of a foreshadow or the reason for it is to highlight something that Jesus Christ is going to do or has done winking at Jesus usually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is some part of Jesus's story that plays into this somehow. I would imagine that that would be the, the guess that I have is that it, it is some type of foreshadowing. So, because what the what the Hebrews believe as far as prophecy goes is not that a prophecy is going to happen exactly as it was p- described at exactly one specific time. Prophecy well, is more of a be happen. So so right. prophecy prophecy is more of a pattern. Okay. So okay. Um, what so instead of there being one singular event where this prophetic thing is fulfilled exactly at that one time. There will be a, a specific, complete fulfillment of every prophecy, but there might be foreshadows of prophecies so that you know what to look for. And so some aspect of this story about Joseph and about you know his father and his father having to let go of his favored son who might end up dying, like some aspect of that story is supposed to foreshadow something about Jesus that an, a Jew is supposed to see and read and understand and then be able to find the messiah because of that does that make sense yeah so like that's when i find stuff in the bible that's weird and 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 out there and and there isn't doesn't really seem to be a a reason for it that's kind of my default position is it's it's there so that a jewish person could read it and then see the physical messiah appear and be alerted to the fact that oh that's the messiah and, yeah, that's it's like oh sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. And, and so that's you know that's 
that's why it's there. Now they didn't see him. That's and that's why the generation of Jews that existed with concurrent with Jesus, there's a special condemnation for them because they missed the Messiah. So what Jesus said is that it's actually worse for that generation that missed the Messiah than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah in hell. And so, you know, the, the reason why it's worse for them is they had the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They had all these different stories that are supposed to point them towards the Messiah so that they'd recognize him when he shows up. And they didn't. They didn't recognize him because they weren't faithful in their the mission that God had given them. Okay. So, uh, okay. So uh, that that's what I have for here. Did you have, did you have any more questions with this uh, passage or anything like uh, that? So, other than what I was going to touch on, what you were saying earlier. So, um, basically, um, I was I was wondering, like, I think a while ago, and you answered it. Like, basically. What do you what are you supposed to look for when the Messiah comes? Well, in the scriptures it says Messiah is gonna do a bunch of miracles, specifically, you know, make the blind see, make the deaf hear, make the lame walk, raise the dead, right? And so, mm -hmm. the John the Baptist disciples come up to Jesus and he's like, "Hey, are you the uh, the the prophet that we're looking for, or should we look for somebody else?" And he's like. You can go back to John and tell him this. Like, <laughs> look, the dead, the, the the lame are walking. The 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 gospel is being preached to the poor. The blind can see. The people are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Like, I, I can't, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, yeah. but he's like basically saying, like, look, I've checked all those boxes. And then as they're walking away, he's like, truly, I tell you that of all of these that came before John, he is the greatest. And it was, it was, uh, I kind of to like pump him up there and give him some honor and respect there. So yeah, it was. Uh, Basically, yeah, you're supposed to look for these key, these key miracles, and that would be a sign that God was with this person, because if God was with this person, then that's how he would be able to raise somebody from the dead, right? Or make this person who has been crippled his whole life walk, or born yeah. blind, and now he can see. God has to be with somebody who can heal that person, right? So, it's it's just really interesting, but yeah, let's go ahead and we'll move on into the next one. So, okay. So move on to Genesis chapter 43. Yes. Uh, and so this is where the brothers of, uh, Joseph returned to Egypt, uh, leaving Simeon behind as a hostage. So what do you got for us? All right. So on my notes here, I got Jacob reluctantly allows his son to take a Benjamin to Egypt to buy more grain. Um, Joseph welcomes them and prepares a feast. He is filled with emotion upon seeing Benjamin and secretly returns the money his brothers paid for the grain. And this would be especially sketchy if you're already kind of like, you're already kind of, uh, uh, you're, you're just really hoping nothing goes wrong in Egypt and you buy this grain and oh no. The yes. Money. So, so, uh, I think we got that a little bit out of order. Um, so the first thing that they know that the, that the brothers notice as they're leaving Egypt. So they just got done meeting with Joseph. They don't know that, that it was Joseph. They think it's some Egyptian guy. And so they get sent off and, uh, instead, and so they get sent off with grain cause they, they were there to buy grain so that their family doesn't starve. And as right. they're leaving, they notice that in one of their sacks is, this uh this money that they had paid and so they get really scared and they just hightail it kind of out of there 
So that's a, that's yeah, an interesting thievery. Like oh, it's almost like mm-hmm. stealing, right? Yeah. Uh, so well, that's sad. that's that's what they would assume if if the Egyptians were to just find them. The assumption would be that they stole it, right? Like, but obviously Joseph had put it in there, and so that's a that's an interesting kind of little uh, f- added you know flavor to the the whole scenario, and and it seems really petty. Like I'm I'm not going to claim that it actually is. But it seems like Joseph is being petty for all of the years of trouble and right. turmoil. Like, I don't actually believe that. So don't don't get it twisted that like I'm actually saying that he was being petty. But it just seems that way a lot, especially reading it from a 21st century perspective. Uh-huh. <laughs> so then, why why do you think he secretly returned the money? Or and then like uh, uh, also, uh, why was he testing his brothers in this way? Yeah, again, it, it it is a foreshadowing or uh, something to do with, with some other story later on in the Bible. It's it's there for somebody to be able to read that story, get something out of it, and then through the Holy Spirit, I believe, and then be led to a, a, a truth that God wants them to have because of it. So... I don't know okay. exactly, you know, I, I don't know exactly why anything is in the Bible, uh, except for, you know, Jesus is there to, so that we can be saved, of course, but, um, that, you know, that it just, it's so weird. It, it, it it's gotta have some greater spiritual reasoning as to why it's there than just randomness. I also do yeah. believe it's what, it's what happened. Do, like everything that happens in this story, everything that happens in the Bible, I believe are actual events that really happened at one point in reality. Um, so I believe that these things happen, and then the way that they're recorded can have certain meanings and have special uh, uh, reasons why it's there, you know, that I couldn't comprehend. So Touching on specifically that, in that position, just, just to kind of pick your mind, how do you reconcile in, like, the Gospels when there's slight differences? If you're saying, like, I believe this to be the way it happened... Then yeah. when the, in the Gospels, when there's slight deviations, how can you believe that this happened if there are two different accounts, essentially? Okay, so what what I would say is that 99.9% of the problems that, that, you, that may possibly look like they exist in the Bible have already been accounted for. It's very rare to come across something that's new. And what generally happens is it's something like, there uh, so let's say that outside of the descriptions in the bible there there is a there's a scene and in this scene there are two bushes so i'm just taking a random scene this doesn't actually appear in the bible but let's just say that there is a, a biblical scene that's described and in reality the scene has two bushes you go up and you pick a berry off of one of the bushes okay so in one gospel it says it says Austin went up and picked up picked a berry off of a bush. And then in the other gospel it says of the two bushes Austin went up and picked a berry. Okay? Are those two stories different? No, cuz I'm still picking a berry off a bush. You're still picking a berry. But they're there's still they're saying two different things. Exactly. One says there's two bushes, one only implies that there's a single bush, but it doesn't leave out the possibility of a second. And so that's what we see nine times out of ten with these problems in the Bible that supposedly exist or these contradictions. It's they're be- saying the same thing just differently. It, it's because they're they're describing the same scene, but they are using 
different pieces to describe it. So it's not important yeah. that there are two bushes in this in this story that this made up story that I came up with. It's not important that there are two bushes. One one writer records that there are two bushes because that is the reality. The other writer just says you went and picked up a, a berry off of a bush. Okay, so both of those are completely 100% accurate and true to the events. They're true to the things that existed in that space. They just don't 100% describe exactly what was going on. It doesn't say it was a sunny, blue, clear day. It There was a slight breeze from the east of three miles an hour, right? Like what people are expecting to see when when you say that that these two different that these events are different and that that's a contradiction is they're claiming that the bible would have to completely 100% describe every single possible detail of every single story and that's just not for possible any, for any one thing to be credible exactly y- well yeah. because because if i take two stories and and so Matthew and and John are two different writers, okay? So if I take two people that each write their own paragraph on something, they're not going to be the same paragraph. And in fact, it's cheating if they are, okay? It's so impossible for two people to write down the exact same words that when a teacher finds that the same essay, it's the same prompt, we all got the same essay prompt in sixth grade, to write an essay on the the beautiful clear day we we saw yesterday, right? We can both get exactly the same prompt. If we were to have this exact same words, that would be a sign of cheating. Okay, and so it's to kind of ex- like if if we both got handed color palettes with the same color paint on it, and we were asked to paint an image, and somehow we both created identical artwork, you'd be suspicious. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, you'd look for some deviations. Yeah, they're painting a tree, and there's the sun, and they, but they're kind of different because they're two different people, but no, but somehow they're identical. How did that happen? That's kind of Yeah, weird. and so yeah. We, we should expect there to be differences in the stories that appear in the Gospels because they're all being told from a different perspective. But that doesn't mean that any of the facts are wrong, and that doesn't mean that any seemingly contradictory things actually are contradictory. So that's that's just how I would uh, argue people should approach the contradictions in the Bible, is usually there is a very good explanation as to how that could have happened or why that is the case. And it usually boils down to one of them was describing in more detail that there were two bushes. The other one just describes that bushes existed and a berry was picked. So, okay, uh, uh, we should yeah. probably move on. Uh, so basically, like you said, the brothers uh, return from Egypt uh, to their homeland. And uh, now we're going to go on to chapter 44. Yes. All right. And here in chapter 44, uh, rubber starts meeting the road a little bit and Joseph confronts his brothers about the silver cup and they offer to become his slaves um, in place of Benjamin because initially Joseph wants Benjamin to be the slave because he finds the cup in Benjamin's sack. And so Joseph says that only the person responsible should become the uh, should be the one to become the slave. And then his brother kind of goes on a small little rant about how, oh, my dad said, if something happens to Benjamin, you will bring my gray hair down to the grave in deep sorrow. And basically saying, if I lose another kid, it's going to be bad. And so um, essentially, uh, Joseph reveals his true identity 
um, uh, in time, and he forgives his brothers, and he explains that God had a greater purpose in sending him to Egypt, uh, and it was ultimately to save their lives and all of Egypt during this great famine. And so Joseph, um, I think Pharaoh tells Joseph, and then Joseph instructs his brothers to bring Jacob and their families to Egypt so that they can, like, stay in the land of Goshen and, like, prosper mm-hmm. during this time because Egypt is actually um, doing it kind of all right. And so that's why it was funny when they first got there. They're like, oh, you're spies. You're here to see how vulnerable and weak the famine has made us. And so it was kind of like a not far-fetched thing to kind of be like, yeah, that's why you're here. You're spies. And so, yeah. Well, so anyway, Mike. Um, sorry, so, sorry, just to add a little bit, like, the the people of Abraham's descendants, right? So this is Abraham's family. Abraham was not some small-time dude. He was one of the richest, if not the richest person of his oh, really? time. Oh, really? He had, like, a... Yes. He had, like, a... Not a following, but he had a reputation, uh, so to speak. So, so at one point, Lot gets captured in... Earlier in Genesis, I believe we actually talked about it, but uh, at one point, Lot gets captured by a group of uh, kings that are all working together. Okay. Okay. And then another group of kings goes. It, it, there's a whole war going on. Two groups of of kings. One has like kings. five or six kings together, and the other one has like six or seven kings that are allied together. And so in this conflict, Abraham raises his own army like he's one of the kings and goes oh, yeah. and rescues Just from his camp. Just yes. From his camp. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. He's like so he's like uh, armed a bunch of dudes. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's not crazy to think that like this family might have sent somebody to come and spy out the spy out Egypt. Okay. Oh, so they themselves, the brothers had a reputation because they're descendants of Abraham. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ooh, okay. That was a layer so, that I didn't pick up on. Actually. I hadn't thought about it until just now, <laughs> but like <laughs> if you know, there, there are reasons why. And even if Egypt wouldn't have seen it that way, the brothers would have known about their, family's history and reputation and it would have they would have been they would have believed it right they would believe that egypt is actually worried about them because they might be like you know they're they're basically these barbarians that live outside egypt that are roaming around going to war and like capable (laughs) of going to war yeah 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 (laughs) okay so So like they're they're kind of a force to be reckoned with a little bit you know and especially if we're going through a famine and things are getting desperate they might be trying to come in and like at the very least they're capable of coming in and doing a raid and like trying to steal some grain right or women or livestock or, or lord knows and so yeah that is a very real concern that egypt would have had about these people but we see it you know looking back on it and we think of egypt as this great big country there weren't really countries at the time it's probably it was just most, a civilization at this point and it's like mostly just a like single city but a city isn't like it's like ten thousand people a hundred thousand people is a city that's a huge city I think they just kind of like opened up shop near all these monuments and started kind of doing all their business and trade near these monuments and stuff and then basically that's what it was is like the if you want to do trade get closer to those monuments where the sphinx yeah. pyramids are exactly I mean? that's where they're that's where they're operating yeah so that's a just a, a little bit of a thing that i don't think a lot of people think about is i didn't them, think about it them sure. being spies was a real like potential <laughs> Yeah, possibly, um, yeah. So, all right. All right, so my question for that was, um, well, why was Joseph still insisting on taking Benjamin at this point? 
Um, I, I remember last week you were saying that uh, Potiphar, the whole thing with Potiphar's wife, like God set up this whole thing. So I imagine that um, what he's referring to when he says that like um, God had a greater purpose for this, like um, it was, a, it was, a, I guess ultimately it was for the famine, right? Yeah. So, he, so I, I, I honestly, I think that, uh, that Joseph wanted Benjamin to stay just cause he's his brother. So the other, all of the other brothers, he's only a half brother to, that's the only one that he's a full brother with. And with so, I, yeah. So him and oh, he, him and uh, Benjamin are the only two sons of From Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. And oh, so wow. I think he loved, you know, he, he loves his brother. You know, he wanted to spend some time with his brother. It's a hard journey. Like going I back he was overcome with emotion when he saw Benjamin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and going back home, that's a tough trip. You might die on the journey. Thieves could overtake you. Like there's real hazards that exist going from Egypt back to the land of Canaan. Yeah, you just have barbarian camps okay. uh, popping up out of nowhere like it's Civ. Well, yeah, and you're and and you're not, you know, you're not driving in your Jeep in 20 minutes right. back to the land of Canaan like this is a week this is a week long to overpower somebody and use your sword. Exactly. <laughs> and so it could have been a he really loves Benjamin and didn't want to put him at double the risk that than than was necessary, right? Oh. Um could have could have been that he wanted extra time to to spend with him and to bond with him and that that's the closest family he's seen you know in decades at this point right do you so. think uh joseph would have had egyptian kind of garb and makeup on to where he wasn't like noticed to be looking like the older like like an older version of the brother we threw in a pit do you know uh, what I mean? like oh he had yeah slightly... he absolutely would have been wearing all of the traditional egyptian stuff i, I would imagine uh, sorry, I shouldn't yeah, say he so. absolutely would have. I would imagine he would be wearing the uh, <laughs> traditional Egyptian stuff, uh, especially because a lot of that's ceremonial. He certainly would have been wearing the Pharaoh's ring. It talks about him being given the signet, the, ring? The signet yeah. ring. Um, so that, by definition, you're already not going to assume that this is a this is my brother. Like, like just imagine oh, that, that you're sense. that you go you're you're an American, right? But you go over to Romania. And you find out that your long lost, supposedly dead brother is now the prime minister of Romania. Like you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna look at him and go, "Yeah, that guy in a suit's my dead brother." <laughs> you you know what I mean? Sense. Like that makes like, total sense. And a lot of time has gone by too. So yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a lot of reasons that that they might not have recognized him. But you're probably right that the most pertinent was the makeup and the the garb and and the the robes or whatever he was wearing is probably the easiest way to to hide that so but yeah i just it, it's you know it's interesting that that joseph wanted to keep his brother behind and i think there's a lot of reasons for that so that's a good okay. question yeah like uh, i feel like i feel like if you're in any kind of government in egypt back in the day you're gonna look kind of like the pharaohs how i uh, the sarcophagus sarcophagi i don't know um how they have like the eyeliner and like all the blues and the golds and all this stuff on their face i don't know if you've seen um the mummy but that's kind of how i think uh, <laughs> it would be <laughs> um like. you know it's it's interesting so we like to think of egypt as this one thing that's just kind of always existed okay yeah. but the 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 people that were in charge of egypt the people that were pharaohs weren't always egyptian okay 
So okay, there's and what I know is the Moses, but uh, but the the one thing about Egypt is it hasn't always been one state like we think of today, or like one people. And yeah. mm-hmm. there used to be an, a north and a south Egypt, uh, and so at, at a certain point they combined. And was this like re- way back in the day, or is this recent? I uh, th- I'm talking about way back in the day, ancient Egypt. At a certain oh. point, there was a north and a south, a northern and a southern empire, and at one point, oh, okay. those two empires merged. I don't know where the biblical story, this biblical story, falls into the timeline of that, but it's possible that it was before that unification. It's possible it was after that unification, and so there's all sorts of ethnicities of people that could have been the pharaoh at the time, and it, they weren't necessarily of the same ethnicity as the people that are in Egypt today which I find interesting. Uh, and, and we know that because of the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. And uh, we know that because when that translation was made, when, um, when it talks about the Pharaoh that Moses was dealing with, it calls that Pharaoh uh, Alos. Okay, so there's, there's, a, there's a term... Also my name? No, no, no. Al- Alos. It's a Greek word. So there's, there's a... Oh. There's there's two Greek words they could have used here. It's called alos or heteros. So heteros means another of the same kind. Alos means another of a different kind. Okay. Oh, and that's so, why it says that it says like a pharaoh from a different kind that did. Yes, know exactly. Yeah. So that that used the word alos there in Greek in the Septuagint, and so we know He's referring to ethnicity there. Almost certainly. What other what other kind of pharaoh would there be? The, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah that's that's so good that's point. yeah so that's like the kind of pharaoh changed from an egyptian pharaoh to an assyrian so, pharaoh or you know oh, whatever I don't, okay. I don't know if that's actually what happened i don't know like don't don't but you can infer that based on the way that the greeks uh translated this or it was actually right. the way that uh it was the jews that translated it but they translated it into greek so the septuagint is a translation of the old testament that was uh, Hebrew, translated yeah. from Hebrew into Greek 300 years or 200 years before Christ's birth. And so all of the prophecies, all of the the stories, everything of the Old Testament is written down in Greek in a language that is very precise and specific. And we have copies of this from before Christ was born. And so we yeah. know all of the different prophecies that, that were made about Christ weren't just written about him after he was born. Like those prophecies all existed hundreds of years before he came about, so that's a little bit of a side tangent. Yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, for sure. That's that's how we know that the Bible is true is is because of prophecy. So that'll be a that'll be a good episode. Um. Yeah. Uh, anything else with this chapter or uh, kind of where where are we at with the story? So. So we um, let's see. They're about so we, we're to. Gonna, we just did forty four. Okay, so we're at 45 now, and uh, you want to read your, your little blurb? All right, so Joseph is going to be reuniting with Jacob in this um, in this episode, which is pretty cool. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and, and they are astounded. Um, he tells them not to be angry or upset for selling him into slavery because it was all a part of God's plan. And this is what you were saying earlier with like Potiphar's wife and stuff, because that's what lands him into the prison, and it all mm-hmm. kind of snowballs here. Um, Joseph sends his brothers back to Canaan with wagons to bring Jacob and their families to Egypt, ultimately to, you know, reside in the land of Goshen. 
And then Jacob initially um, does not believe the news, but when he sees the wagons and hears Joseph's words, um, he is convinced and sets out for Egypt. So what's going on in this uh, chapter? Did uh, where were they staying before they were in Canaan and do they kind of just take their whole flock and all their family and do they just kind of have an exodus from Canaan into into Egypt or like what's going what's kind of yeah. going on in this episode so that's uh, that's basically what's Epis happening chapter, sorry. <laughs> it should be like I would love to see a completely like faithful uh, production of this as like a movie or TV show or TV series because that would be awesome but uh so that episode I like the idea but uh it, it, right now, what we're seeing is the the brothers have gone back. They've convinced uh, their father uh, Jacob that his young his son that he loved the most didn't end up dying and is actually alive now. So you know, praise God for that. And what they're doing is they're convincing him to leave the the land that God had promised to his family and head Ooh. to Egypt. Okay, and so that's not an easy that's ask, sketchy. right? Like, yeah, because it wasn't that like yours, and the only reason it's yours is because you're inhabiting it. Um, it, it was the land that God had promised to them, and you know, he it, it might not have. I don't know. I don't know what God had told Jacob at this point, uh, and so I couldn't say where his heart was. But it might not have been the easiest ask for them to get him to leave Canaan. This this land where his father is buried, right? Like all of his ancestors are buried there, and go to this land of Egypt, which is this evil, like I don't know about evil, but this this, this pagan, yeah, pagan is the right word, pagan civilization. <laughs> um, you know, but we see that there is a, a famine in the land, and so there there are some big problems, and and they needed food in the first place, so it it might not have been the hardest thing in the world. But there, there might have been some conflict there, and and I'm reading into that. That's not what we find in the text, to my understanding. So just take that with a grain of salt, of course. Um, and so then what we see is that they do convince him, and they ultimately start the trek from Canaan back to Egypt. And you'll notice for this trek, they sent or there's like a bunch of carts. Oh, you you're talking about them being uh about them picking packing up. So. Uh, at this point, the family of Israel, or the family, yeah, the family of Israel is, uh, they're mostly herdsmen. So Abraham had a bunch of, a bunch of flocks and herds and things. This is the pre-nation of Israel right now. Yes. And so they're, Ooh. they're all a bunch of, of herdsmen. And so it's actually not the hardest thing in the world to move your herd from that land over to Egypt. And so that's what they did. They, they picked up, they packed up all they were, they were probably in a bunch of tents. They didn't have physical buildings the way that that we would today uh actually their their existence and their the way that they lived would have been kind of like a hybrid between us and the native americans okay so they would would dwell some place with like tents then they'd build structures live there for like 10 years and then abandon those structures no 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 that's not what i'm saying at all they wouldn't be building structures they they might do like wells so Again, it's kind of like a hybrid between like what we see in Native American cultures where they get up and they move around in different areas for different seasons. So Native Americans they kind of follow the agriculture, yeah. Well, they they follow the 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 fauna mostly and then yeah. the fauna are following the flora, which is like plants and stuff. Um and so that's how what Native Americans did here in the United States before Columbus showed up. And uh what we see is kind of a hybrid of that where the uh 
where Abraham would have had his flocks and his herds and they would have moved around depending on the seasons and depending on where the water was, but they also might have upgraded certain areas. So the talks in the Bible about the well that our fathers dug. Okay. And so Abraham might have yeah, dug a well there, Jacob well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but that's not, that's not like a building that they'd live in. They weren't building like solid structures that they were going to, to live, to sleep in every night. Right. They, they would dig physical yeah. wells. And then at this time of year, we're at this well, because the weather's like this and the grasses grow around it nice and thick. And then, you know, we move to the other well for the fall and that's, so they might have some physical infrastructure like that but they wouldn't have had physical like buildings. They wouldn't have even really had like roads. Uh, the closest thing would have been probably like trails. They probably would have had some like trails. So if you go hiking, you'll see like animal trails that go off of the, the main trails that we're on. It would have been kind of like that, you know, trails and, and certain things. So, yeah. Uh, and so again, it's, it's not easy for them to move. It's, it's physically not as easy as getting in a Jeep and driving across the desert you know, so this old man, uh, Jacob, he has to get in a cart and he's got to get carted all the way back to Egypt. But ultimately they end up back and you said the name of the land that they entered and it was called Goshen. So that's like a region or a area inside area. of Egypt. Yeah. And my understanding is it was one of the most prized regions of Egypt. So it was a very beautiful very nice land, very nice little, place yeah. to go for some reason. And he uh, was able to get grandfathered in with the previous pharaoh who was down to let him stay wherever he wanted because he... Was mm -hmm. it because they survived the famine that he was like, yo, stay wherever you want. Like, was, I don't even care. It, it was because of Joseph, the the pharaoh that had his dream uh, interpreted by, by Joseph. He literally handed over the keys to the kingdom to him. Okay, like... Yeah. There was no small thing that, that, that Joseph was number two in Egypt. Like, and then Egypt ended up prospering massively under Yeah, Joseph. exactly. And so, you know, the Pharaoh, like, legitimately, Joseph probably by himself had the authority to give his family Goshen. He still went and asked Pharaoh, of course, because that's what you're going to do. But, like, if he had just ordered it, it probably could have basically been done without even going to Pharaoh for that. Like, that's how much power Joseph had. But it's like a sign of, like, um, respect, honor, and, respect and, yeah. To like of ask course. For permission. Yeah. It's and kind of like um, when uh, if you go, let kind of weird, but like weird kind of example. But like, let's say you go shooting with some friends, and like you go to like when you wanted to shoot your buddy's gun and stuff. Obviously, you know he's gonna let you use it, but you just kind of be like, "Yo, are you cool with me? You know, using your your thing over there?" And it's like it's it just general like you know they're not going to say no to you, but you're just kind of showing respect in that way that you're not going to go exactly. their stuff first. Yeah. Exactly. And so he would have the, the authority to do it, but he wouldn't do something like that without going to Pharaoh first. And so, you know, it's it, they move into this land, and that's the land that we see them in at the beginning of Exodus, which is going to be the next book right after Genesis, uh, when Moses shows up. And so that's 400 years later. It's a huge amount of time in between the family that enters into Egypt and then the nation that exits out of Egypt back to Canaan. And so we'll... we'll... So you can imagine Egypt has developed quite a bit, and so has the pre-nation of Israel at this um, point. Are they the nation of Israel at this point? Well, so if by developed you mean that, like, populations increase, probably. But what's funny yeah, but... is 
today, like we have so much radical change in our society, like from from yesterday till today, there's probably been three different AI apps that have been launched that would like if the ancient Egyptians had a single AI app that would revolutionize the entire world and drastically change like the course of human events. And so today we have things that are coming out every single day that in another in another age would have been drastically like world altering technologies. Okay. In that 400 years that the, the, that the Hebrews developed into a nation in Egypt. No, it didn't. (laughs) It didn't. They barely had any changes in technology in that whole time. That's, that's the crazy thing because they didn't because, uh, okay. There is a, the technology of shipping things across the ocean. Okay, that's a very important thing that human beings have been doing for thousands of years. The The first people that developed a fairly efficient form of shipping were the Phoenicians, and they developed a shipment method called break bulk shipping. So if you think about an old timey ship, they'd have a plank going over the side and then you see a bunch of dudes with like sacks walking onto the ship and dumping their sack onto the ship. Okay, that's called break bulk shipping. You literally take everything in item by item and unload it on the inside of the ship and you just dump it into into a space that was the same shipping method that the phoenicians developed that we used until 1950 wow. <laughs> okay just dumping sacks just dumping sacks and and like dirt and piles of stuff into the holes of ship ships so that would take three it could take three weeks for ships to get in and out of port at that time Okay. You rely on the labor of the unloaders and loaders. It, in night in the 1950s, they came up with containerization. Okay, and so now instead of having to physically bring in a sack of flour and dump it on the inside of the ship to then ship it over to China, now we container. you load the container individually. The container gets picked up by a crane and set on the ship. And so for literally like 4,000 years, we had zero innovation in shipping technology. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, fast, the other fastest thing, so the ship speeds didn't really change in that time either. The next fastest thing was a horse. We didn't have advancements in horse technology that made horses go faster in those 4,000 years. And so like a 100-year period wouldn't look all that much different from another 100-year period, except for the fact that, like, your your country might have gotten into a war at that point. Or, you, know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if, you, if we were to go back and look at the technology of 500 AD versus 600 AD, it would be exactly the same. Oh, okay. Okay? That's, so that's... That's very interesting. That's the... I, uh, like, so that... So, sorry, another tangent. In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, I believe... There's a verse that says uh, at the end times, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, but at the end times, uh, people will travel to and fro and knowledge will increase. Okay, so that that, that sounds like a pretty innocuous prophecy, right? No, but that's like planes and and boats and stuff. Exactly. Knowledge will increase. That's like the internet. Yes. And like our knowledge is increasing like drastically faster than it ever has. Like you're traveling to and fro. And we are traveling, like, you can go around the world in 20 hours today. You, like, I'm... You can I, bullet train like crazy, yeah. I, I, 
I drive people around from Australia in my car every day, and they just flew in from Australia. You know, they were in Australia 20 hours earlier. Like, that's just the craziest, you know? Uh, you know, and yeah. people in Jesus' time, they didn't travel more than 100 miles from home generally. <laughs> like, I think yeah, Jesus never went back. more... Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's just... It's crazy how little, like, technologically changed in those 400 years, but obviously there's a huge cultural difference and there's there's massive societal differences in that time. But we we like to see things as static and, and our reality is kind of how it's always been. And so, oh, yeah, humanity's always been exponentially growing and learning and, and increasing in knowledge. But, yeah, so. Yeah. All right, that was, uh, what chapter was that? That was 45? That was 45. All right, and so in chapter 46, we got Jacob's family that ends up going to Egypt. They have a little exodus from Canaan. <laughs> Jacob and his entire household, along with his sons and their families, set out for Egypt. They bring their livestock and possessions with them. Um, in a vision, God reassures Jacob that he will be with him and that Joseph will be there to see him before his death the chapter lists the names um of jacob's descendants who went to egypt so it kind of has a little bit of a genealogy in there um i think right of the people that ended up going to egypt yeah yeah so that's uh that's a little bit of the genealogy and what we see in the bible is that genealogies are really important um again we saw in genesis the beginning of genesis that the names of those people had a lot of specific meanings. But uh, what we also see is like the sons of Levi. So it's very important that it's recorded who the sons of Levi were. And so that's Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, as I've highlighted These on the... These are going to be like the, okay. the, Le the, the, Le the Levite patriarchy when you get to like... Um... When they establish the priesthood, I, th I bet these people are going to be big players, or at least their sons are going to be, right? So... it. it their their sons are going to be the priests that that are that are going to be the priests of the nation and so it's important yes. that we have it it written down who they were and so then 400 years later someone's going to claim to be a, a, a great great you know grandchild of marari oh, someone's going to claim can actually trace this mm -hmm. that's awesome and so then 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 they go look in the book and they go oh you are a son of them and that person's a son of them and them and them and so you can be a priest and 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 you know that that's because they've been taking a... censuses and and recording genealogies for, uh, since this time right exactly they still have accurate records of this stuff so so like uh ultimately the the most important genealogy is that of jesus christ and so when we see jesus christ being born to to mary right in uh you know around zero you know around the year one a.d right um when we see jesus being born there mary can trace her genealogy all the way back to adam okay she knows who her line was going all the way back to adam which is crazy to think about because that how they would know to do the genealogy of jesus because she had that genealogy every single jew knew their genealogy as well as she did oh, wow. uh, unless you unless it's part uh, of their culture yeah unless there's you know circumstances and and people that you know that whose parents get killed and those sorts of things might not have a hundred percent the same like certainty as to who their lineage is but right everybody knew their lineage like that like you knew that you were like 
Joseph knew that he was uh, in the same the line as David. Like, like oh, they okay. knew that, okay? And so that, that was something you knew. And, you know, obviously it's something that we've lost in our society. I have no idea who my great-great-grandfather was, let alone how I am related all the way back to Adam. Uh, so it's just something so that... My grandma, uh, quick two-second tangent, um, she took me to a grave uh, over in, like, Garden Grove or something, because that's where she lived. But she mm -hmm. pointed out that um, her maiden name was the same as this tombstone. And she goes, this tombstone is the the great-great-uncle of this person who's actually, like, a famous, like, novel writer. And so, like, I'm not going to, like, say who it is, but I'm just going <laughs> to say, like, um, my on my grandma's side, I'm actually connected to, like, um, like a famous book writer. Oh, you should just, you should just it say was... it. Because, like, uh, I've got a story like that. Uh, my great-great, like, grand-uncle is Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. All like right, I'm, well, I'm related to, yeah. So on my grandma's side, she was a Clemens, and so we're related to Mark oh, Twain. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so funny. Was... Like you're related to Mark Twain, I'm related to Edgar Allan Poe, and now we're doing a podcast. <laughs> right? It's it's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I, it's it's just interesting. I, I imagine if you talk to your your grandparents or the oldest people in your family, you can just ask them, "Hey, do we?" Are we connected to anything? Like, where, like, where are we descendants of anyone? I'm pretty sure you're going to have some interesting stories. Well, and, and that's a, a, you know, to kind of wrap this all back to public schooling, that would have been part of your education, okay? Before public education, you knowing your family history, you knowing your family heritage, that was probably one of the most valuable things, the, one of the things you get taught the earliest, okay? And now that's yeah. just not even taught at all. Like, at best, in second grade, you might make a family tree assignment thing that you forget about by third grade. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which you should do just for fun anyway. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Everybody, sh everybody should know. I it's sad that I don't. I, I hadn't realized it, but it's it's sad that I don't know my heritage like that. And the, the fact is, like, public education has just destroyed any kind of familial, like, uh, 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 a lot of people's like pride. Care in it. Yeah, yeah, we don't we, we don't have care in it. We don't take, and I don't mean pride in the in the sinful way, but we don't take pride in in our in our heritage the way that we used to, and it's because we our don't parents own are our that... heritage in that way. Yeah, exactly. So, again, kind of a callback, but I don't want to get too sidetracked. So that's that's what happened in chapter forty six. Uh, anything oh, else? Right. It's basically just the genealogy, like you were saying. And again, yeah, that's it was a little bit of a stale chapter. But what were we gonna say? Um, and it's you know it's it's in the the genealogies. While it's it's definitely difficult to read and and going through these dry names is hard. Uh, I would love to find a version of the Bible that includes all of the the meanings of the names. Like as you're reading it, that would be pretty cool. Oh, okay. uh, to know we'll have what to mess with that project, we should do that. Yeah, um, do the things we want to see. You know. But you know, but it is it is important to read these genealogies. A lot of these names, it, they may not be the same people, but these names will pop back up later on. The the reason yeah. why, you know, there's, you know, you know, the reason why there's other people named, you know, Judah or Judas, right? Is because there's a lot of Judases. Exactly, and that's because Judah had such a a, uh, a, a august, you know, venerated name for the time, right? Um, and so you would name your kid after your father's, right? And so 
these names, you'll see them show up and pop up later on in the Bible. And you can kind of see what they're... And when you name your kid that, you're naming them that because you want them to have some a, a bit of the... Uh, the sp- and I don't mean this in a literal sense, but a bit of the spirit of that person play out in their life. Yeah, so. yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of know what you mean. Um, so then um, we also, in this chapter, we also got to see uh, a Jacob get into uh, into Egypt and meet with Joseph, and that's a, a beautiful thing when they finally get to see each other. What, and... goes, on right, what goes on right there? So we got, all right, let me, yeah, it let me says in, read that. Yeah, in verse 29 or 28. Uh, this is right, chapter... As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. That's sweet. Um, finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen your face again and know that you are still alive. That is so sweet. Yep. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's entire family, I will go to Pharaoh and tell him my brothers and my father's entire family have come to me from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds and that they raise livestock. They have brought them with their flocks and herds and everything they own. Then he said, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks about your occupation, this is, this is important too, you yep. must tell him, we, your servants, have raised livestock all our lives, as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen for the Egyptians despise shepherds. And go ahead and talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... Do you know anything about that? Um, I don't know specifically know anything, but some of the things that we can kind of infer from this passage, uh, Egypt wasn't as good at uh, raising livestock, specifically specifically livestock. They did. They were great for agriculture. So that because of the Nile, they highly preferred people planting in fields and farming versus people who were dirty and gross and smelled like you know like cow manure okay i mean cows stink i just drive through cities that have <laughs> cows and man you smell yeah. it from far away so you can only imagine that they didn't like these people because they were stinking dirty or something right and, and they saw it as a an occupation that was below them okay like a second class thing yeah. yeah and so when they showed up actually it's kind of a benefit to egypt so now they have these these now are they don't experts have to do it. well well yeah. it's not even it's not even that they don't have to do it they don't have the uh, again like we think you can, you know we think of today I can just go on Wikipedia and I can learn how to do some basic farming in about 20 minutes okay you mostly can you but, can learn about horticulture uh, but but I can learn from that more than the entirety of knowledge that these ancient uh uh you know uh, herdsmen had access to in their entire life okay I can go find yeah. more information in 20 minutes and read it in a couple days than the, than the entirety of information about animal husbandry they would have had access to in their entire lives. And so having these expert herdsmen come in is a boon to your society because now they're bringing in all this knowledge and understanding that they can then teach your herdsmen so that they can be better at Extra doing that. Yeah. yeah. So They can um, apprentice with them, and then Egypt can take their it, own spin on whatever they're trying to do. Exactly. So. So that's that's the other huge benefit to the Egyptians that they get from the Jews coming in and 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 be and doing something that they find detestable. So I just find that interesting. When do you go from a Hebrew to a Jew? Um, I use those words interchangeably. I, I know that there's a lot of different people that use them for a lot of different reasons. 
some of which are, are very racist and evil. Well, no, if I'm born I, into yeah. a Jewish family, but my fam, but I'm personally not practicing the religion. Does that mean I'm Hebrew but not Jewish? No, you're Jewish. In my okay. opinion, I'd call you. I'd call you a Jew. I basically, they how this works. <laughs> they're they're ba in my opinion, they're basically uh they're basically interchangeable. Um, again. I won't say that that's how everybody takes it or that that's the reality. There may be some reality where in certain instances, one of them's more racist in certain cases than the other or something. We're just I don't, trying to be yeah. uh, like accurate and understanding. Yeah. How to use these words. We're not trying of to course, like, say, of course, of course. Yeah. No. And, and I, I have a lot of love for the Jewish people. Like my Messiah is Jewish. All of the characters, like, 99% of the characters in the Bible are all Jewish and like, you know, there, there's a huge amount of love and respect that I have for those people because God loves and respects them as well. And, and even just the, the nation of Israel, like I want to see Israel prosper. I want to see good things happen to Israel. Like, absolutely. You know, I, I, yeah. So, you know, I, I just like to state that, you know, I don't want anybody to, to, to think that we're anything other than, you know, people that love the the people that god loves right so yeah uh is that it for chapter 46 it's a beautiful family reunion uh jacob ends up crying as he sees his his son and knows that he's alive and and has that assurance which is beautiful i think that we're all uh you know i think that's kind of how god feels about us i think he's equally as overjoyed when a sinner repents of their sins and and turns it's like to a him, prodigal son story. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's all it's it's kind of like the reverse almost. I don't know if reverse is the right because there's no prodigal. Like neither one of these two men did anything wrong in this instance to separate themselves, but they were separated, and and it's just such a joyous event that that they get to be made whole again. And and I think that's what God's going to do with his whole family, which is beautiful. Yeah. So. All right. So we've got about. 12-ish minutes, so we're going to speed run the rest of these, okay? Okay. All right. All right, so <clears throat> chapter 47, Joseph and the Famine. Um, Joseph introduces his family to Pharaoh and settles them in the land of Goshen because of the severity of the famine. Joseph manages to... Uh, Joseph suggests and manages the distribution of food throughout Egypt. As the famine worsens, the people run out of money and livestock, and they offer their lands and themselves as slaves to Pharaoh in exchange for food, um, which I want to make a comment on this. Uh, Joseph establishes Pharaoh's ownership over all the land except for the priests for the land. So Joseph is really smart, and he's really loyal to the Pharaoh. Basically, the people come... And they buy all the grain with all their money, then they're out of money, and then they go, like, don't let us die, let us sell our houses so we can eat. And then they're like, alright, alright, cool. So then we'll take the deeds to your your stuff. And and then I think it even went to the land it was sitting on, and then um, basically every time they didn't have something, they would suggest, well then take this, and then Joseph was down, and it ultimately went back to Pharaoh's ownership. So under Joseph's command he was accumulating wealth for the pharaoh because every time they wanted food and didn't have something they would just take another mm -hmm. form of payment until yep. absolutely everything under the kingdom was his and so another way that um jo uh, the pharaoh making a very smart decision giving the keys to the kingdom to joseph because he knew what he was doing and he wasn't even like like uh deceitful in this they didn't have anything to pay with so they paid with their houses they didn't have any more houses so they paid with their land and then even the people were like well then let us sell ourselves yep. as slaves so we don't die it wasn't his suggestion so everything even the people became 
uh, ownership of Pharaoh, and this is during a good Pharaoh, so this isn't even bad. Nobody's nobody's worried about this at this point. But Joseph establishes Pharaoh's ownership over all of the land except for the priest's land mm-hmm. because they were exempt from these laws of like like offering the taxes and all the mm-hmm. stuff. Basically, priests didn't have to deal with a lot of the stuff. But they, go ahead, they, I'll yeah, turn this over to you. They had an allotment of food outside of of that that they were guaranteed. Um, so I just I. I... This this absolutely blows my mind as a free American citizen in the freest land to have ever existed. Okay, and I'm using the scare quotes here for a reason because I'm about to prove to you that we're not the, either of those things. In cha- in verse 24 of what is this for, chapter 47, it says, uh, "Then when you harvest it, one fifth of your crop will belong to Pharaoh." Okay, so this is. Uh, uh, in, cha- in, in, verse, in verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, look, today I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh. I will provide you with seed so you can plant the fields. Okay? So the fields are Joseph's. The people are Joseph's. The animals are Joseph's. The seeds, Joseph's. Everything is, the, is Pharaoh's and Joseph's. Okay? The people own literally nothing. And when they do their work, they're only taxed at 20%. They don't own anything. None of this is their land. None of this is... Like, Pharaoh has every right to take, like, 100% of everything. And... Keep, he, keep 10% for yourselves. Okay. The rest is mine. <laughs> exactly. He could have legitimately done it that way. Okay? Legitimately, he could have taxed them at 90%, at 100%, and that would have been fair. Okay? But they're only taxed at 20%. They're only taxed at 20%, Austin. I I wish we were only taxed at 20% in this country. Okay? If you start it's combining like all like 13 from the state and like 13 from the No, Fed it's like 30. Like... After 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 a certain amount of income, it's like 30 from the Fed. If you add up all the taxes that you pay, you pay about 50% of your income in taxes. It's like 49 cents on every dollar. It gets pretty nuts, yeah. Basically, okay? And this was for people who were slaves, slaves to the Pharaoh. The lowest class, they don't yeah. own that. They don't own not even the lowest class. They're literally a hundred percent owned by the state. And the most onerous taxation that they're willing to do is 20%. We're free. We're free. We have freedoms. We can vote. We can, we can go about our business and do whatever we want, but we're, we're slaves to the point where we owe them 50% of our, our, our income, 50% of our output and our bodies labor for that year. That, that this one verse just blows my mind as far as like taxation. And, and, and that it really just, it really just highlights the fact that we are basically just having our income stolen from us. Um, we are not a um, free society. Joseph 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I wish man, uh, I wish, but like, can you imagine if we only had a 20% tax rate? Like that would be beautiful. Um, you'd be able to do a lot more with your life for sure. That's um, you'd see your your uh, paychecks increase. You'd see your ability to do things increase. Your ability to pay for things increase. Everything would just be get bigger. It, it would be better. Um, so yeah. yeah, I just to me that that like when I read that and realized how low their taxes were, despite being a hundred percent as owned by the government as anybody possibly could be, <laughs> and we're paying higher taxes than them. So I just, okay, we can move on. I know that we have limited time. So that's, that's what happened in this chapter. They, uh, 
the forty-seven, mm -hmm, and forty-eight, Joseph, and the famine. So now we're gonna move on to forty-eight. Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim, yes. Can you help me say that? So yeah, Ephraim, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, mm -hmm. so Jacob falls ill, and Joseph brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to receive their grandfather's blessing. And there's something interesting with his hands going on here. Um, however, Jacob intentionally crosses his hands, placing his right hand on Ephraim, and his, the younger son, and his left hand on Manasseh, the older son. So the hands are significant. I'm sure I, I didn't even think about this. Apparently, your hands mean something. Mm -hmm. And the older son signifying that Ephraim will receive the greater blessing, which apparently is the right hand. Jacob uh, blesses them and prophesies their future greatness. So, can uh, do you tell us anything about this prophecy or any significance with the hands or like anything there? Yeah, so uh, if you look at hands and stuff in scripture, you'll see that Jesus sits at the where does he right sit? Right hand of the Father. Exactly. So, which is the more important hand, the right or the left? I'm assuming the right. That's exactly. Where that's where Jesus <laughs> is sitting. It's what most people used to write with. It's it's the dominant hand that most people use to to conduct business with and to do the most important tasks. Okay. Right. And so that is seen as the side that has the most you know authority. What's interesting is we see that Joseph wants his older son to receive the greater blessing, the right-handed blessing, and he wants his the younger of the two sons to receive the. Uh, the lesser of the blessings, right? Which is funny because he's not the oldest brother himself, but you can see how ingrained it is in their society. The oldest has special privileges. Okay, that's just... So this is a callback earlier when you were saying that the, it's not the baby of the family thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, um, there isn't a there isn't a special bonus to being a baby. No, that's a that's a that's worse. That is a worse status, a lower status, to be the baby of the family. And so what's funny is almost, not every time, but in so many instances with Jacob and Esau themselves, actually, Jacob's the, the younger of the two brothers, okay? Um, and so what God does is he, he tends to choose the, the, the less qualified or the, the candidate that wouldn't have been chosen by other people. And so this is another with, instance of that. Uh, David. Yes. He was like the scrawniest of the brothers. Of well, he was the, again, of again, was he the oldest brother? He was the youngest. Exactly. And so what God is setting up is that he's going to work through the people that you least likely expect. Is That is an overly broad characterization of what you see a lot of times in the rest of the Bible, uh, I believe. So that if, I if I would ask you to look for that as you read, look for God preferring the things that human beings wouldn't be preferring. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I would get from that. Uh, what's interesting about Ephraim and Manasseh and this whole ceremony that's going on right now is essentially what's happening is Jacob is adopting those two children as his own. Okay. Why, why is that? So I, I don't know exactly why that is. I, I think it's just because of the love that, uh, that Jacob has for Joseph. He, he prefers Joseph so much more to the rest of the family that he's elevating this man's sons to his own sons. Like that's a, Oh, cause that's he's, a, he's pronouncing the blessings. Like he's the father. Oh, yes. Yes. Huge. Okay. Exactly. This happened with, um, Isaac. 
Mm-hmm. But he did it to his own biological children, not his grandchildren. And so this is big, so, it's significant. It's so this is if they are his biological children. The, they are being adopted, and they are now almost like his legal children. And so that's what we see here. And so what we'll see is in lists of the tribes of Israel, we will see Ephraim and Manasseh show up in those lists. Not both of them and not all the time, but when they basically... There's always the list twelve. Fourteen. No, they'll all. They, there will only ever be twelve tribes listed as the tribes of Israel. There will be tribes that get excluded. Okay, so if the tribes of Israel are going off to war, the Levites don't go off to war, and so they will not get included in a list of the tribes of Israel going to war. But what will happen is the Levites will get left off, but. For example, I don't know if this actually happens, but for example, Ephraim will get promoted and be listed a as a tribe, even though they're technically a, like a sub-tribe. No other children get listed like that. And so Ephraim oh, okay. and Manasseh are used by the author of the Bible, who I believe is God, to get that total number to 12 every single time you see the uh, tribe like of Israel vice listed. Like a vice-president tribe? A vice-tribe? Kind of, yeah. So... <laughs> Um, okay. but yeah, so that's, that's chapter 48. I, I think that's pretty interesting right there. And we can move on to chapter 49. Oh, Keep right. on powering through this. Jacob's blessing and prophecies. So we might want to read this, but Jacob gathers his sons and pronounces individual blessings and prophecies over each of them. He foretells the destiny of each tribe of Israel, their strengths, weaknesses, and future roles. Jacob also requests to be buried in the cave of Machpelah, Machpelah. With his, I hope I said that right. Um, with his ancestors, and he peacefully breathes his last breath. And so, basically, what he's saying here, and I believe what he does is asks J Joseph to swear by an oath that he will bury me in the land of Canaan. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive, right? I'm positive yeah. this happened, right? Okay. Yep. So, so he's go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. I, w I was just gonna say, um, you know, there's obviously twelve of these different, or possibly, yeah, there's. 12 of these different blessings. I, I don't think we need to read all of them. No, um, yeah. But I, I'm going to read the one that I think, and, and this is just my own personal belief. I'm not going to make a spiritual claim, but I think this is the one that's most pertinent to us, okay? Because this is the promise that, uh, uh, you know, this is the, the, the son that we, we get grafted into the family of, of Abraham through, okay? And that's Judah. Okay. Okay, so Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a, a descendant of Judah. Okay? And so uh, what we see in verse 8 of chapter 49, it says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. And so... What this is predicting is it's predicting Jesus Christ, okay? So through Jesus Christ, all of his brothers will praise Judah, okay? And through Jesus Christ, you will grasp your enemies by the neck. He's going to, you know, put them under into the winepress of God's wrath through Jesus Christ, you know, right? All your relatives will bow before you through Jesus Christ. So I think that's the most important of the prophecies for us because that's the one that Jesus ultimately fulfills on the cross and will will 
ultimately in the future fulfill that by sitting on the throne of David and ruling over the earth for a thousand years. That's yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that we have time to go through every single one of these. There's amazing things no. in, in a lot of them. Uh, but to me, that's the most pertinent, the most important to us because through that prophecy, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that's how we get grafted into the family of Abraham. So I'm not going to claim that we're of the tribe of Judah. That would be improper. But because of this prophecy and because of, of... We're adopted into that line. That's how we get to be adopted into the family at all. So I find that that very special and wonderful. So All right. So for our audience, if you want to go read those blessings yes. and prophecies, that's going to be Genesis chapter 49. Uh, all right. And we are... What, did you have anything you wanted to say? Nope, I just was going to say I highly recommend that everybody goes and, and reads this whole story. It's it's beautiful and wonderful. And uh, just read your Bible every day. That's that's really important. <laughs> so you, you definitely get spiritually fed. You have two stomachs. You've got your physical stomach and you've got your spiritual stomach. And you might be spiritually starving. So you might want to pick up that Bible and uh, read the, his word. It, definitely. It does something that I can't even explain. Um but yeah, let's go on and we'll move into chapter 50 of Genesis, uh, Joseph's kindness and Jacob's burial. So Joseph mourns his father's death and requests permission from Pharaoh to bury Jacob in Canaan. Oh, so this is where I was getting that. A large entourage, including Joseph's brothers and Pharaoh's officials, accompanies them. So basically Pharaoh's like, yeah, take my soldiers too. Like, uh, he, he's like, it's it's cool seeing Joseph just, like, lavished by Pharaoh. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's really cool. After yep. the burial, um, Joseph's brothers fear that he might seek revenge for their earlier betrayal. But Joseph assures them of his forgiveness. He reminds them that what they intended for evil, God used for good. And I'm going to have you read that Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, which is basically saying the same thing. Joseph lives to see his great-grandchildren and promises that God will bring Israel out of Egypt and back to the promised land. Huge foreshadowing. And then the book of Genesis subsequently um, uh, keeps going until it concludes with Joseph's death. So, um, and then you pick up with in Exodus where it kind of basically says a new Pharaoh comes to power that didn't know mm -hmm. anything of Joseph or what he's done, but go ahead and touch on us for in chapter 50, anything that we need to know um, about burying Jacob uh, parent. Like, so that means Jacob's bones are somewhere in Canaan. That's crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see. He assures them of the forgiveness. He reminds them that, Oh yeah. So can you, what uh, that verse, that verse is really big. Uh, Which verse? Genesis, Genesis 50 uh, chapter verse 20. 50 verse 20. Oh, it's a, it says you intended to harm me, but okay. Um read that in NKJV. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want the N you want the NKJV? Okay. Or do KJV <laughs> and NKJV. Okay, I'll just do KJV. We'll do, we'll go uh, we'll go old school here. I like the way that that it flows. Um where is it? There we go. Okay. So, uh we'll start a couple verses ahead and it says um, and his, uh, in chapter 50, verse 18, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not for I in the, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. <laughs> One um, more time. Can we do that same verse in I'll NKJV? Do it. I'll do NKJV. <laughs> oh, man. My brain did not like that at all. Uh -huh. 
So if you guys, uh, by the way, for our viewers really quick, um, if you want a very easy, flowy, almost reads like a kid book way of reading the Bible, I would recommend the NLT. You can blow through some chapters just because you don't have to do mental gymnastics. But if you're a seasoned reader, you might want to give it a shot because it's kind of like Shakespearean um, with the King James Version. But I read the uh, New Living Translation. That's what we normally read off of. But go ahead. Yep. Uh, we used to use the NKJV, but uh, yeah, we switched over to the NLT, and that's what we're going to be using going forward. Uh, so uh, chapter 50, verse 19 in the NKJV, it says, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so this was a really big fear of theirs. Like, so the 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 brothers were legitimately afraid that once their dad died, there wasn't any protection for them or for their families. And Joseph had the authority and, and the right to have them executed. He could have just said, remember Esau done. when, uh, when Isaac died, he's like, I'm going to kill Jacob. <laughs> well, uh, actually it was, it was the, it was the opposite. Um, Jacob ran away thinking that Esau would kill him. But, uh, once his father died and he ends up coming back, uh, Esau actually wasn't all that harsh to him. So he, he wasn't happy, you know, he's not happy with them. They're not best friends. But uh, you see the the whole scenario. There's a whole yeah. So it's actually funny how wrong Jacob was about that, and how much he thought his brother was going to kill him. And then the same thing happens here, where all the brothers think Jake that Joseph is going to have them killed. And yeah. again, it was a, it was a legitimate fear. What they did to him was was horrifyingly evil. Okay, they literally one of their Stripped brothers him of his robe and dumped him in, him in a, a ditch, ditch and then let him get sold into slavery. Okay, like. For less than what a so a slave's cost, I've found out is thirty pieces of silver. They sold him for twenty pieces of silver, not even a full thirty. Like so, they just yeah. didn't even care whatever they were gonna pay for this guy. <laughs> exactly, and so you know when Joseph is saying this, it's a it, it's I don't know if they believed him. I hope that his brothers did, but uh, you know it's it was a very hopefully reassuring thing to them to hear that like despite let this go yeah yeah, well and and despite the evil he admits it is evil what they did to him but despite that evil god took that evil act and turned it into something good something that he could show his glory in and that's ultimately what god does with all sin and so ultimately the conquering of all sin happened in jesus christ when he went to the cross and died for our sins and so what what we meant for evil, all the evil that we've done in this world, God used that evil to showcase how merciful how, and how glorious he is in his uh, sacrifice of his own son so that we could, you know, have a relationship with him. So yeah, and he basically promises that no matter what you've done coming to Jesus, it'll your slate is wiped clean. You put your mm -hmm. face. I mean, it might not be wiped clean with the state. They might be pretty upset yes. with you. The government might be upset with you and hold you accountable. But God is saying, I will. I will not. I will forget your sin. You come to Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Amen. I can tell you that. I could tell you that's what God um, promises. And that's uh, again. I I go back to this a lot, but that's what we learned from the thief on the cross. He didn't. You know, he wasn't taken off the cross. He didn't profess his faith in Jesus Christ, and the Romans go, "Oh my gosh, you're a Jesus follower. Of course, we're going to let you go." No, they still, you know, he still had to pay for his punishment. Um, but what we find out is that we won't have to pay for it in eternity. 
you know, we'll, we'll have there to pay. There is a quote second death that you do not want to be a part of, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yep. So you you're you're still on the hook for whatever physical consequences there are here on uh, on this planet for whatever you've done. If you've murdered somebody, you're gonna go to hopefully you're gonna go to jail for a long time. Um. Well, this but, is speaking to the people even on death row. Like, yes, if you're on death no, no, row, and you what I, put yeah. your faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm convinced you'll go to heaven. Like, yes. if you go, you know, I'm mm-hmm. wrong for my sin and what I've done, and everything I've done is wrong. I agree with you, Lord, that you are right, and I and I want to enter your kingdom. Please accept me. And He's not going to sh- uh, shun anybody away. Mm-mm. If you repent of your sin and call on the name of Jesus, you're you're grafted. You're as good as His. Amen. So that's what's beautiful about the whole um, the faith in Jesus is there's nothing you have to do but trust Him and put your faith in Him. That well, what and... He says about His claims about Himself are true. That's well, and and. It. And the other thing is, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but but Joseph very much is what's called a type of Christ. So people will will uh, will go and they'll look at different stories in the Old Testament, and they'll try to find ways that that person or that event fits the narrative of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. And Joseph is one of the the closest ties to Jesus that we have in the Old Testament, and, and literally he got murdered by his brothers you know jesus gets murdered by his brothers the the people Judas, of israel one of the people that's a tribe of, of but, israel yeah but 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 they, but the jews themselves like the high priest that whole system the jewish system is what ultimately gets him murdered along with the Roman oh you're system. just saying they, jews in general are your brothers yes and so they are literally like they see each other as each other's brothers that's like they call each other brother and, and that sort of thing to a certain extent um and so you know, he gets That's probably why they were a... able to get in each other's faces and have really intense conversations without like slapping each other and stuff. Because oh, like, I'm brothers. oh, I'm oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure there was plenty <laughs> of fighting and wrestling and and fisticuffs of all sorts. But you know, but basically, you know, the the story of Joseph is is the is a shadow of the story of Jesus Christ, and it's one of the clearest shadows that we have, one of the sharpest. So I just reading it from that perspective, you you can see how. Uh, how how much God loved Joseph and this family, and God loves the whole rest of the world the same way. And that despite the fact that we we took, you know, God's son, our our uh, another man, so in in a sense through through Adam, he's our brother, and we put him in a ditch to die, left him to die in a ditch, you know, just like what uh, what these people did to Joseph. You know, we would have done the same thing to Jesus Christ. Sorry, it's, that might be a little bit little bit confusing the way I said that, yeah. but. That's totally fine. All right. So, so that um, I think that concludes our um, our little journey through Genesis with Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. That w- uh, I I definitely learned from this little series that we've done how to kind of properly format our our stuff going forward. Um, I just kind of you know want to say again that you know Jesus is God and He loves you, and if you put your faith in in His in Him and his, what His testimony is that you know you can find all that information in the gospels in the bible um if you put your faith in jesus you're going to heaven and amen um, that's ultimately why we why we're doing these faithful dialogues is so that we can talk about christian topics and that we could hopefully lord willing lead somebody to the lord mm-hmm. so yeah um, uh, that's that's my goal either to lead somebody to the lord strengthen help somebody strengthen their faith in god like uh, we just want to be here as a as a resource for for the Christian community or those interested in, in looking into Christianity uh, to answer your questions to to pray for you if you have something that we need to pray for you about you know if you want to 
email me something private at uh, uh, faithfuldialogues at gmail.com. Uh, we can pray for you and we can talk back and forth in a more private way over there. And uh, yeah, we just want to be a resource for you guys to to see Christ's love in, in the world through us and, and through the, the stuff that we present. All right. Well, Ryan, where can we find what you do? What do you do for us? Yeah, so I uh, I have a huge passion for, for sharing Jesus and the gospel uh, personally as well. Uh, so I started about a year and a half ago a channel called As It Is Written. Uh, I've had some pretty decent success over on TikTok with like 16,000 uh, followers over there, which is just incredible Ooh. that God's, uh, God's blessed me with that. And, um, you know, it's, it's been wonderful with some of the videos that I've shared. I, I actually think there's people that weren't Christians that are at the very least looking into Christianity because of it, which is just a mind blowing blessing that, that God's given to me to be able to see that. And I just praise him for, for the work that he's doing over there. Um, you know, I've, uh, you can go and find my stuff at AIIW.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I hope you guys check that out. And, uh, Austin, I know that you're trying to start something up as well. Uh, what are you doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I've got some things in the works. I kind of want to start a couple different YouTube channels just doing different things. But for now, if you want to see my content, you're going to find it here on Faithful Dialogues as far as that goes. And I also co-founded a gospel christ-centered clothing line um, it's apostlesaddict.com we have um, two different designs with four different options and we're gonna give away uh, a shirt at 50 youtube subscribers so again go ahead and drop a comment on one of our our videos uh just prop the most recent one that you see and just let, give us a question or yeah just something for us to talk about maybe something that we can pray for you for basically if you interact with us in our comments at this point you're just getting entered into the into the giveaway i'm just shoving the <laughs> shirt at you at this point so yep go, go ahead and um uh leave a comment to enter yourself into our um our giveaway and um yeah we'll do a very fair t-shirt giveaway at 50 youtube um subscribers all right so thank you for joining us for our whole episode it's a uh, it's a lot of fun making these and and i hope that they're a blessing for you and they have been a blessing for me and, and i hope so for our viewers as well so i hope that you have a great week and uh 